Sundays on The CW, brace yourself, superhero fans, because the bat signal is on, and you won't believe who's swooping in to heed the call. From the brilliant mind of Greg Berlanti and the executive producers of superhero smash hits Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow, comes the most anticipated new series to join the CW-verse. It's Batwoman. Get ready to meet your new hero, Kate Kane. She's a survivor, a fighter, and an all-around badass who plays by her own rules, and she's got the ink to prove it. Batwoman's story begins three years after the mysterious disappearance of Batman, when Gotham City is in desperate need of a new kind of hero. Soon after returning home to defend her city from the notoriously twisted Alice in Wonderland gang, she discovers her cousin Bruce Wayne's mysterious lair and his unbelievable secret. With the help of Batman's trusted tech genius Luke, she decides to carry on Batman's mission by becoming Gotham City's new superhero vigilante. From the suit to the gadget to the fight scenes that will blow your mind. This is the Batwoman of a new generation. Don't miss the incredible new series, Batwoman, Sundays at 8, 7 central on The CW or anytime on the free CW app. Final season premiere of Mr. Robot is over, but we are just getting started here on Poster Recaps. Hello, friends. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Antonio Mazzaro, and I don't have any jokes. I barely know how we're supposed to process everything from this episode, but we also have to deal with that first scene, man. No spoilers, but ah! No spoilers? You don't want to talk about spoilers? Uh, not yet. talk about the episode? Not yet, not yet. Just in case someone's turned the podcast on and they're like, oh yeah, Mr. Robot's back. I should probably check that out. If we just lead with the spoiler, I would feel awful about ruining that for Good everybody. Uh, so just a, a quick uh, service advisory announcement that there are massive things that have happened in the first episode of the final season of Mr. Robot <laughs> that are going to be dissected in glorious detail here Why on the laughing? podcast. I don't know, because you're nervous, because you're yes. sad, because you're upset, because you're excited, Antonio, that we have our first brand new episode of Mr. Robot to talk about in just about two years here on the post-show recaps Mr. Robot coverage. That is that that part is exciting. You're right. That part is thrilling. We've been on this robot road a long time, Josh, but man, there are some bends in this road. Woof. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, so here's the deal. We're gonna be recapping every episode of the final season. Uh Antonio and I are very lucky and grateful to the great people at USA Network who are hooking us up with screeners for Mr. Robot. We are going one at a time. So we are watching a little bit earlier than you are. The good news about that is you are getting Mr. Robot podcasts in your feeds very early Monday mornings following the Sunday airings of these episodes. The trickier news is it's a little harder to deal with feedback. We want your feedback for future episodes. So everything that you've got about the season premiere, will engage with that for our episode two podcast, which we will be recording at some point in the future. Once you have already seen the season premiere, plenty of ways to get your feedback into us. You could tweet at us at post show recaps at round. Howard is me at AC Mazzaro is Antonio. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's and one R. The R is for robot. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form. We are also still working on getting our email address back up and running. If you want to give that a spin, mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com. Hopefully that is working. If not, our feedback form absolutely is for your longer form thoughts that you want 
to send in. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Postshowrecaps.com slash MRRobot. iTunes is our Apple feed, but you can subscribe to the Mr. Robot specific feed. However, you listen to your podcasts, your ratings, your reviews, greatly appreciate it as we are hoping to discover new friends on this final ride through Elliot Alderson's journey. Um, I guess before we get into spoilers, Antonio, I want to I want to plug a couple of things really quickly. Uh, some people may not know that I cover Mr. Robot for The Hollywood Reporter. If you did not know that, you do now. And there is some stuff up on The Hollywood Reporter as it pertains to this final season premiere. First up, there's my series regular podcast, deep dive interview into the season premiere with none other than Sam Esmail, the creator of Mr. Robot, the man who has directed every single episode of this show since season two's premiere. Sam and I spent a lot of time talking about the first scene of this episode. Uh, <laughs> there we go again. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, and a, a whole lot more. It's a really good listen if you're a huge Mr. Robot nerd, which I assume you are if you are listening to this podcast. It's up now at thr.com slash mrrobot. That's where you're going to find all of my Mr. Robot coverage all season long. I'm going to be interviewing the actors all along the way here for the final season of Mr. Robot. So I highly recommend that you bookmark that hub, thr.com slash mrrobot. Robot, but I also highly encourage you to subscribe to series regular, not just so that you get that Sam Esmail interview, but so you get some different podcast coverage with actually myself and uh, the man that you're also hearing from on this very podcast, Antonio Mazzaro. That is correct, Josh. I am honored and thrilled that I will be joining you on series regular in the months to come to talk about HBO and Damon Lindelof's show Watchmen. Yes, we will be watching the Watchmen and talking about it on series regular each week uh, from your your podcast at The Hollywood Reporter. That's it's really exciting for me. It's a great continuation as far as I'm concerned, Josh, from the podcasting we did here at Post Show Recaps about the leftovers, some of the best podcasting I think we've done. And I'm just it's just really I, I have not seen the Watchmen yet. I know you've got to see a little bit of it. I, I can't it's wait. It's good. I, I'm not allowed to talk about it very much, but I can tell you, I was at New York Comic Con uh, and they showed the first episode there, and we are permitted to at least air our reactions to what we saw at New York Comic Con, so I could say from that, I loved it. Uh, and I feel like Damon Lindelof is bringing that big leftovers energy to his next... BLE, baby. His BLE is, is alive and well uh, for, for Watchmen, as far as I have seen. And I am, as you say, I am thrilled to be continuing our own BLE into the series regular feed over at The Hollywood Reporter, where you and I will be talking about Watchmen each and every week. Uh, so there will not be dedicated Watchmen podcasting here on Post Show Recaps, but you'll be able to catch that at Series Regular. So if you haven't done that already, you should subscribe to Series Regular. Uh, that is where you will be getting our Watchmen takes. Uh, but let's get back on track with Robot. There is one other thing that I want to plug uh, but I feel like I can't say what it is without finally getting into what's happened here in the final season premiere. So this is officially your final, final spoiler warning. Antonio, any filibustery things you want to say while people scramble to turn off their phones? Or do you think How we're safe at this point? Philip Price bustering. How about that? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, some Philip Price bustering happened this week on Mr. Robot. Uh, but I feel like he at least got to walk away from the busting. Sadly, the same cannot be said for Angela Moss, who is deceased as of the first scene 
of the final season premiere of Mr. Robot, Portia Doubleday's character, who has been a staple of Mr. Robot from the very beginning, uh, launches us into the final season uh, with the death of Angela continuing her final scene from season three. It's, you know, the very uh, seamlessly, almost jarringly, the final season of Mr. Robot begins with a previously on segment that culminates in reminding us everything that was at stake for Angela and where we left off with her. And it just bleeds in and blends right. into the episode no, itself. It's so discombobulating and very quickly unnerving. And in the lead up to this episode, Sam Esmail had been on Twitter saying, be careful on premiere night. There are going to be major spoilers basically right away. And dude was not kidding, Antonio. Dude was not kidding at all. I have an interview with Portia Doubleday that is up on THR.com slash MRRobot right now, or at least I will very soon, depending on how early you are listening to this podcast. She dives deep into the incredibly shocking first scene of the final season. Uh, I, I still can't believe I'm saying it. The death of Angela Moss. Uh, she was in great spirits the whole conversation. She has some really sharp takes on why she felt the time was right for Angela's death. And of course, now Antonio and I will spend the next 17 hours on this very podcast uh, debating the matter ourselves. And debating whether we want the machine uh, that White Rose is working on to work and press the reset button on everything. No deletions are permanent, Josh, or at least not all of them. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is possible. Is it possible for a scene to be both shocking uh, and naturally expected? That, I think, is the debate of this scene. I think it's something you talked to Sam Esmail about when he said... This was the first scene on the board for season four when they sat down to write it. It just made sense that this could not continue. Uh, Angela's knowledge uh, and what she wanted to do with that knowledge in Re White Rose, her own feelings about her fate. Uh, we saw the scene at the end of season three where a mugger approaches her, tries to take her purse. She doesn't want to give it. The gun is on her and she is not moving. She is basically saying, go do what you're going to do. Like either you're going to shoot me or you're not. I'm okay with either outcome. She feels responsible for the deaths of so many people. She's tried to rewind them and delete them. That hasn't worked out. We've seen her gone fully round the bend at the end of season three. And what's fascinating about to me, fascinating to me about what you said about how the, the show bleeds in from the previously on to this episode, which we have seen Mr. Robot do before. Uh, in this instance, the season three scene between Philip Price and Angela ends with Philip Price saying, my advice to you is to find a way to live with what you did. And the new content for season four begins with Angela saying no. Angela literally cannot live with what she's did with what she's done. Uh, and we see how that culminates and we see the result of that is that she doesn't live. Um, she is accepting of her fate on some level. She turns and sees the dark army uh, people at the, the top of the hill, if you will, probably emerging from the house the minute she begins to threaten White Rose and threaten White Rose's project. And she accepts it. She tells Philip Price, take all emotion out of this. Like right. you said, you know, you know, going how to back do this. To, the, to the restaurant scene in season two. Yeah, it's calling back to just their entire relationship, really, from the beginning when... Uh when when she was upset about the shooting uh, that that she witnessed at E Corp on air live TV, uh, when Philip Price first meets his quote unquote daughter uh, and talks to her about how to handle these sorts of events and how she might be able to learn a lesson if she shows up later, um, this has been their relationship throughout. Is yes, horrific things will happen around you. You're just going to have to suck it up and maybe find a way to learn to live with it. She's giving him that same advice that he's given her throughout, as you've pointed out, when he tells her sell these 
these guys out, sell them up the river. These are these longtime employees. If you sell them out, you'll feel better if you're able to live with it. So this is uh, the advice that he's given her throughout and she's parroting parroting it back to him, accepting of her fate. Doesn't mean, Josh, it is not so brutal to watch play out. The way it's shot in that wide, I know you talked to Portia about that. It's brutal. It's really brutal. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating, though, because like we become Philip Price, where like we have to walk away from it. Uh, like there's there's the way that Michael Christopher plays it, where he's just like kind of like he's he's catatonic almost like he he's like going through the motions at this point. It's like Angela has parented him in that right. moment of being like, just walk away like you should probably leave. And so it's almost like there's like an unspoken. OK, mother, you know, like as he's as he's walking away, uh, tearing the the wire off, just sort of the blank expression on his look as he is a ship passing the dark army in the night as they go down the hill and they 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 go their separate ways and we're just on price as we know at that point the inevitable is about to happen um and i and i mentioned this to Portia but if you haven't read the interview yet i will i will say to you dear listener uh that i got to see this episode at the new york premiere um in uh in uh, they 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 screened the episode in the village in new york city a few days before the season premiere aired on sunday night uh, and even though the tension is so high and I feel like the stakes of, of what are what's involved at this point, it, it's so clear where it's going. The moment that they take out the gun and they shoot Angela twice elicited the most it, the most gutting simultaneous gasp I have heard in a movie theater, maybe ever. Uh, wow. It was it was really intense uh, because I think like even though everyone knew that like this looks very bad for Angela. I still don't think that like you expected it to be executed so coldly, so mechanically. Um, but at that point, the story has moved on from Angela and the choice has been made. Like Angela's final moment that we really linger on with her from her perspective in her view is she takes the breath, right? Like she takes the breath after she has said to Philip, uh, after she has said to her father, remove all emotion from this and you'll, you'll be okay. Like that's her last like really emotional um, line delivery. Then she takes this big breath of like, okay, here we go. And then she says, I'm not running. You should probably leave. At that point, story's over. It is. And it is fascinating that she is, is accepting of her fate, that she's facing it down, that she knows what's coming and that she feels a little bit responsible or maybe a little bit that it is deserved in some way. The acting choice with the breath, I think, is a huge part of that, as you're pointing out that she is accepting of that, that she's resigned to her fate. She could have tried to run. She says, I'm not going to try to run. Uh, there are maybe things she could have tried to do. A Price is the one who's bargaining. Price is the one who's in denial about it. Uh, she is totally accepting what's happening. I do appreciate, if, if we're going to end the character, and this is certainly seems like an ending, uh, that she had some agency in it, uh, that she felt like it was her choice. We also didn't talk about uh, what she says in the moment that really leads up to this, is that Price is wrong about White Rose's project being a folly. She is, to the bitter end, Angela maintains that she saw something uh, and that Angela knows, quote, how to take it from White Rose. Uh, and we can tell everyone what she showed me. 
that seems to be what seals her fate. Josh, do you do you find anything additional in this that in her darkest moments or when she's at the full end of her rope with this huge thing that's just been told to her with Philip being her father, she Angela is still maintaining that there is some validity to this project and that there was something that was showed to her. Elliot in season three says White Rose manipulated you. She took advantage of you. There's nothing to it. She, you know, you don't have to hang your hat on this. Uh, you just got played and you need to accept that. Philip Price tells her earlier in this scene in season three before the continuation, just accept that you were conned. Like that you can't have a con without the confidence, but accept that you were conned. And Angela is still maintaining to the bitter end that there's something to this. Uh, the scene doesn't linger on that because obviously there are bigger things to deal with in this scene, but I, I don't want to ignore that uh, because that seems to be still something that we need to put a pin in as a major part of what we're going to deal with in this season. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about there. Uh, first of all, so we're never going to find out what White Rose showed Angela. Are you kidding me? Are <laughs> I was you, really trying. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, this is the triggering I was trying to do. The mission accomplished. <laughs> I hope your wife is home. I, I hope so too. Uh, I just, I just had to get that out of my system. Um, no, I, I think, um, I, I think neighbors it, just called the police. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it accomplishes a few things. I think it accomplishes a few things for me. One, I think, and we talked about this in the previous show that I, I think that we had reached a point with Angela where, um, what, what mattered most to me was that, like. We we believe that like she whatever it is she saw is something that she would believe in. Um, so so I think that that could still be the case. And just because like to the bitter end, she believes that White Rose's project is achievable, uh, that that it can that it can be accomplished, that it's real to me does not necessarily mean that it's uh, achievable and accomplishable. I, I think that there is a lot of power in the idea at the final arc of this story uh, and, you know, as we're going to start moving into talking about the, the rest of the episode and Elliot's plan to take out White Rose's heart, to take out the bank that is funneling, uh, that is that is fueling all of White Rose's operations and the Dark Army's operations, um, that, that it could be compelling to me if who Elliot is going up against is essentially like a, a madman. You know, or a mad woman, uh, as it as it were, with White Rose, uh, somebody who who firmly, fully believes in this ability to com- completely, radically change the world, or literally create a world um, based on you know theories and theses that may not actually be backed in true reality, um, but could be a nice um, uh, a nice way of framing the idea of just the absolute insane. Uh, egomaniacal things that the astoundingly, shockingly, unimaginably rich are capable of willing into existence. Um, So just the fact that Angela believes it doesn't mean that I still do. Um, The fact that Angela is dead, the fact that Angela believed it and is dead, does put me and the viewer at large, I think, in the awkward position of hoping that maybe it is right. achievable. And we talked about that in our preview right. podcast of like, who could they kill that would make us want to believe that white Rose can pull this off. And I don't, I don't think that Angela was necessarily top of mind for that for us. Certainly not as early as the first freaking scene of the first <laughs> right. episode, which really I do think um, I, I love that Angela has agency in the choice. It doesn't feel uh, like she doesn't, it feels very true to the character for me. I think people's mileage will vary on that. But I think when you watch the arc of Angela Moss, 
Um, the fact that she's going to stay and not fight it and not run away. That's very true to the Angela that I've, uh, that I've gotten to know over these last few seasons. So I think it really does honor her in the end. Um, but I, I don't think that we had any any feeling that that this major character could die so quickly in the final season. But it's a real showing of the teeth. It's a real announcement of the final season's intentions of like, yeah, no one's safe. Uh, you're all in big trouble. If you've got a fan favorite, you should probably just cry now and just be like empty by the time we go to the point of killing them off much later on down the line. Um, yeah. But she's someone we love. She's somebody we care about. And now she's dead. And White Rose does have this. Uh, intention of creating some sort of universe, whatever shape that is, or has some project where potentially the ramifications of it mean that Angela is alive somewhere. I'd at least, I'd, I'd at least like to see that like theoretically explored, right? And I, I imagine that in some capacity we probably will, whether it's like in Elliot's headspace or it's in actual reality. I feel like we haven't seen the last of Portia Doubleday as Angela on this show. I would be really surprised by that. Um, so, so there's that. And then the other thing, I know I'm, I'm going long, but the other thing that I think that this accomplishes and is, is a really important one is we had reached a point with Angela where it was going to be absolutely ridiculous if we didn't know what she saw. Uh, if, if, she, if we didn't know what White Rose showed her or told her and Angela was going to continue being a steady, active presence on the show, they were going to have to tip that, that card over for us. Otherwise, it was going to be, for me, really unbelievable. The fact that they were able to get away with an entire third season without uh, tipping off that reveal was really, really hard to swallow for me as, as if you went back and listened to those podcasts, I'm sure I talked about a decent amount that it was, it was a fairly frustrating aspect of the character. And I think they couldn't get away with it any further than that. And I think it's pretty clear by killing Angela off here in the first episode of the final season, Antonio, that whatever it is, White Rose is truly planning. We are not going to know the extent of it until very close to the end of the line would be my prediction. And I think by killing Angela here, that allows Sam Esmail and the team of writers to really buy themselves some time to build up the tension, to ramp up the stakes and then flip that card over. And they better be very confident in what that reveal is, because I think to me, that's like final three or four episodes could be even fewer than that. Uh, would be my guess as to when they're finally going to reveal what White Rose has in store. It does seem like that's where we're heading, which is tricky because the project is supposedly going to be moved over these couple of months and we'll get into how that progresses from here. But it, it just makes you wonder, how will that ultimately manifest then? If we're going to move the project or maybe not move the project, are we going to have a showdown at the plant at some point? Is the machine going to be triggered? Does it, does it not work completely yet? Uh, are there all these things you talked about? White Rose maybe believing something that doesn't work or believing in something that's a little bit out there. We know that she's trying to distort reality in some way, but there is an active dis reality distortion field around White Rose. Um, in season three, episode nine, when White Rose is ranting about this project not being moved in a way that's satisfying her, one of the things she as White Rose talks about is the reason that we had to have all the explosions uh, and blow up all these E-Corp buildings is these powerful men like Philip Price. They need to be shown this sort of thing. That's the only thing that they react to. And the fascinating part about that, of course, is it's White Rose who's speaking that when Minister Zhang, B.D. Wong's other version of this character, is indeed, in fact, a powerful man who is probably the most powerful man uh, in the show that we know of. So the fact that as White Rose, she's saying and denying responsibility for what 
Minister Zhang gets into and who Minister Zhang is and what position he occupies on the world stage is is a bit of a distortion of reality. So that we know that is already surrounding White Rose. Um, that's definitely something that is in play in the show. Another thing that's in play in the show, Josh, speaking of those late season three things, Elliot's last scene with Angela or Angela's last scene with Elliot, depending on how you want to look at it, is after Angela comes to Elliot's house to basically say, hey, look at this newspaper. Tyrell has been reinstalled at E-Corp. He's the new CTO. This is proof that we are resetting the timeline. That's what Angela is fanatical about at the end of season three. And that's when Elliot tells her, you were manipulated. This is not happening. This is not real. And actually, you know what? There are people that are listening. We should go up into my apartment. When they go up into his apartment, this is the last scene. Leon is there waiting for Elliot because Leon's going to take him to upstate New York, which we won't talk about. No, never. Leon, Leon says, hey, Leon says about Angela to Elliot, she's got to go, bro, one way or the other. Uh, we now find out it was the other, uh, ultimately. But Leon is, is marking that this is, you know, Angela is at the end of the line. Like this character has to go. The way she's out here ranting and the things she knows about, she's got to go one way or the other. The last thing that Angela says to Elliot, Angela becomes convinced in the scene that Elliot's in on it, that Elliot is part of the whatever group that is manipulating her, that she is that he is oppositional to her. They are no longer on the same side. He can't be trusted. The last thing Angela says to Elliot is you're not going to get any more information out of me. Yeah, God. Yeah, well, <laughs> true story. True story. True story. Uh, so that that is in the show. I mean, that's right there in the context of the show that Angela is saying that to Elliot, that Angela is saying that to us uh, via Elliot, and that Leon is saying she's got to go one way or the other. In the in the context of the show, plenty of characters have been taken off the table, and Angela alone, and Elliot as well. But Angela especially has been it's been remarked about by White Rose. Like you should have died a long time ago. Like that is something that White Rose has said to Angela in the context of this show. Like your usefulness or your ability in this story, you you should have been taken off the table long ago. And so the other thing I think is that you talk about how she's possessing information, which maybe needs to be saved to the end game. But I also think that the character of White Rose, when you say the show showing its teeth, we need to see the teeth from that character. It, it does begin to strain credulity that this character would let Angela live as long as she has uh, without taking her off the board, especially right. when she's killed thousands of strangers and, just to pedally get at Philip. And especially after she's just let Elliot and Darlene live and she sacrificed Grant, right? Like, she right. sacrificed her lover in the pursuit of that, where she decided, like, yes, Elliot's plan to move my project out of Washington Township and into the Congo uh, is is worth the sacrifice of this man who has been so fiercely loyal to me and has been a lover of mine. Right. Like she chooses Elliot and Darlene and allows Elliot's gambit to work. And so she's not going to let him go by without at least a slap on the wrist. If, if it makes so much sense to to kill Angela in that moment, like there's the scene right after Philip Price's phone call with White Rose, where which, you know, we, we got to talk about how this impacts Price, because this is like a fundamentally new character now, uh, or at least a revealed character, I feel like, you know, this guy who said, like, I'm, I, I live my life as though I'm the most powerful person in any room that I walk into on the planet, with the exception of maybe two or three people. Uh, like, that's a lot of bravado for a guy here who didn't have 
any power whatsoever in saving his own daughter's life. Uh, right. you know, he took her to his own retreat home and still there was, it wasn't sacred. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a, a protection for her there. Uh, this was a place where she ultimately was jeopardized. He's in his own retreat home, seemingly. So it's as much of like uh, an additional slap on the wrist for Philip Price. Uh, you know, when, when White Rose says that she wants the, the cyber bombings to go off on the same day as the Congo approval, either way or, uh, whether it gets approved or not back in season three, that it's time for Philip Price's hand to get slapped. Well, here comes another slap, uh, and it's much worse in killing his biological daughter that he, uh, we now know we have the context of all of those other scenes with Price and Angela, that this was his way of playing getting to know you, right? Like this is his way of expressing love and, uh, you know, exploring the possibility of having a relationship with his daughter uh that taking her out for semifredo you know and and this is uh you know just as he's finally revealed the truth to her she's now killed she's taken off the board so it's it's a big slap for price but it's also a huge one for elliot where now elliot can't feel too comfortable about the fact that you know he has bought himself some time he's bought darlene some time um that he, you know in the in the deal that he struck in the bargain that he struck in in the farmhouse at the end of season three he didn't say anything about protecting Angela Moss. And so by killing Angela and, you know, we know that he that that White Rose sent the uh, the, the photographic evidence of Angela to Elliot. Uh, that is as much a sign of anything as saying, like, all right, you're, you've got the wheel. But just in case you decide to do something fishy or you take your hand off the wheel, this is what will happen to you and your sister. And it happens to his childhood friend. Um, so and that's referenced right in that yeah, following scene exactly. when, when White Rose says, like, we need to make it clear. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we need to make it clear to him, uh, send him a reminder of what's at stake. That's obviously the picture of the dead Angela. Uh, and that is a brutal reminder. And that is a reminder that seemingly sets the next two months in motion in terms of our role in this story as well. And Elliot not talking to us uh, and in Elliot being where he's at, the compartmentalization that's occurring. That was a reminder sent from White Rose that that's mentioned in that previous scene. So you're right. That's a huge part of it. And I think you're also right about Philip Price thinking bravado wise that he's one of the most powerful people in the world. Though even in that scene, he acknowledges, I believe that there might be a couple carve outs. It's clear White Rose is one of that car, one of those carve outs. He was forced to or, or made to or just acquiesced to wearing a wire when he revealed the most personal secret in his life uh, to his daughter. Um, the, the Dark Army, uh, a.k.a. White Rose, was listening that entire time the whole time to that hugely personal reveal and that was only happening because price acquiesced to doing that uh he is absolutely owned by white rose in a way that has to make him who who as you said goes into these other rooms with that bravado feel entirely totally powerless totally legless in this story not legoless that would be a different thing <laughs> uh, that's on carnival row i think oh um, I, got, I love the idea of price <laughs> with bow in hand and with the long flowing uh, blonde locks uh, Listen, we've talked about the avengers <laughs> needing to be formed I on guess. this show. Yeah, this is uh, going to be a meeting at Rivendell. He's going, he's going to go full Hawkeye. He's, you yeah. know, it's Ronin oh, mode no. for Philip yes. Price. Ronin Price. Yeah, that's a different thing. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, it's going to change every character on this show. It fundamentally changes our role in the story. So of course it's going to change Elliot's role, Philip Price's role. We've seen how this plays out with Darlene in this episode. Uh, it's probably going to impact EDP when she finds out about it, if she finds out about it. Um, this feels like something that happened as a result 
result of her own lax nature of not being able to close the deal and closing this case, her own inability to tie the dark army to the crime, her own maybe negligence and desiring to do so. All these aspects of, of this will impact these other characters. It is I think just uh, we're not just looking at the death through that lens. I think it's wrong to do that. Uh, we started, of course, by talking about how it impacted the character and where it fit with Angela as a character. But I think at least in the course of this sh- this episode, and I think throughout the rest of this season, we're going to see uh, the tribute paid to that character and the removal of that character in the actions of so many other characters on this show um, that I think it, it will ultimately not have been uh, just a, a plot device. Uh, it will be something that, that service the story uh, and service all these characters as well. Yeah, I think I was a little nervous about that on like my first immediate reaction to it. And and then I thought about it more and I thought about the Angela that we had gotten to know across the series and it it really felt right for that character. And talking that through with both uh, S-Mail through uh, talking uh, about it with with Portia Doubleday. uh, And I think that everybody felt like they were on the same page of like, this is where we put her and like to get her out of it cleanly this time, there was no real logical way to do it. Um, that would, you know, be at least no logical way to do it. That wouldn't be in like full defiance of who she was. Um, so it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it was, it was uh, uh, Portia Doubleday's performance in that scene, having to like recapture the energy of, of her final scene from season three, which is already so good. Uh, if you, I mean, the, the, thankfully the previously on like takes you back there so that you could see it, but that line delivery of like, uh, we were going to be, you know, she was going to bring back my mother. We were going to be reunited. Just like the sobbing breathlessness to it. Um, it's just a spectacular line read. Uh, and, and for Portia Doubleday to have to like, go back to that emotional place um, to, to film the extension of that scene here is the first scene of season four. Masterful, like really, really exceptional acting. Um, and it was filmed brilliantly. Uh, I think the choices there of, uh, of how it's conveyed to us really haunting to the point where, like I said, like watching it in a theater with a huge crowd of people who didn't know like what was about to happen, but felt this sense of dread. And then the moment comes and everybody was just awed and heartbroken simultaneously. Uh, And uh, it's, it's awful and it's terrible and it makes you both furious with white Rose, but also kind of makes you root for white Rose's plan to be possible I will say for me, still not enough <laughs> to, to root for a white rose. Um, but I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm interested in how it's going to be explored. And I'm, and I, and I'm really fascinated uh, with, with what you said, how will these characters be um, paying tribute to, to Angela moving forward? Because she mattered so much to so many people. It's not like her death motivates one person. And that one, like, you know, the death of Angela motivates Elliot would be like a very tropey way of, right. of going about the telling of this story. But her death motivates a lot. Uh, not just Elliot, obviously motivates Price. Uh, even the final scene, we get a Philip Price in this episode when he comes to Elliot at the very, very end uh, after uh, Elliot's been uh, goodbye friended by none other than Sam Esmail himself. If you didn't catch the cameo, that is who that was. In case you don't know what Sam Esmail looks like, that he's the guy who shoots up Elliot. Um, but even when he comes into the room, like there is like a weariness to Philip Price at that point. Obviously, Jarlene, once again, tail spinning. It's like how much 
you know, can she weather this year? How how many people can she lose? Uh, right. And at the very least with Cisco, there was no ambiguity about it, even though that's obviously going to be deeply traumatic for so many reasons, watching your boyfriend's head explode in front of your very eyes. But like almost like the not knowing of Angela's death, like knowing that she's gone, but not seeing the proof that she's gone, how that's sitting with Darlene seems like it's a very serious deal. Um, you're right about how that could potentially affect DDP, even though she wasn't especially close with Angela. But if Dom finds out about it, or if it somehow um, allows her to feel like she needs to be on the straight and narrow with the Dark Army thing and not give in, even though there are huge threats that are leveled her away uh, in this episode by a new character who I'm really excited to talk about. Of course, the way that it impacts Elliot, but also the way it impacts Mr. Robot, because Elliot is off kilter in this way, and Mr. Robot has to be kind of like the voice of reason now, which is so fascinating about the flip in the dynamic dynamic and something that I think is um, in a way that I really didn't expect, but a really artful way of evolving the idea at the end of season three that as much as Mr. Robot exists within Elliot, Elliot exists within Mr. Robot. And that was the reason why Mr. Robot had held on to the encryption keys uh, and was always the one who could have reversed five nine just in case we were wrong is what he says to Elliot at the end of, of season three. Um, and now we're getting it. We're getting the structure of the show is changing because of what's happened with Angela and how that is galvanizing Elliot to be like, all right, time is running out. The stakes are high. What happened to Angela could happen to me, but more importantly, could happen to Darlene. I have to kill White Rose. I have to kill the Dark Army. I have to shoot them in the heart and I have to do it fast and I have to be dead set on it to the point that I might be willing to get myself locked into a honeypot to do it. And Mr. Robot is the only person who is like rational enough within Elliot to say like, hey, slow your roll. Maybe pump the brakes. Maybe think about this a little more carefully. Maybe talk to your friend. And if you're not going to talk to your friend, maybe I got to. And now it's Christian Slater who's delivering the narr- uh, the narration, which is such a cool choice. Um, so I think that the way that uh, the show has written off Angela, while it's heartbreaking and while I'm so sad to lose the character, I think it makes so much sense for for where we're going for the show for a variety of reasons for the 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 grander narrative reasons if we need to push that white rose reveal further off into the future uh from the perspective of Esmail and the writers at least uh TBD on that choice you know we'll we'll evaluate it whenever we get there but from the character perspective which is the most important perspective I think it makes a lot of sense as well yeah, and we'll put a pin in that Elliot Robot stuff because I definitely want to talk about that later. I also just want to note that uh, White Rose talks to Philip Price right in the immediate aftermath of this and says, you tried, don't blame yourself, like you did everything you could. It's clearly White Rose's fault, but maybe White Rose just doesn't take this sort of thing that seriously. As you pointed out, White Rose was willing to take Grant off the table or let Grant take himself off the table, and White Rose believes enough in her own project that she says, look, I'll find you as soon as we do this like I'll, I'll i'll come find you wherever we end up and so maybe she just feels like okay we'll take angela off the board right now no big deal like i'm gonna hit reset on all this anyway or i'm gonna do whatever i'm gonna do so yeah it's 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 unfortunate in the moment but maybe it's not a big deal grant has already been replaced josh we have a new assistant for white rose and what is it about white rose's assistants they just hate elliot alders <laughs> yeah well i think that they recognize he's a good for nothing wretch yeah good for nothing wretch and he's gonna he's gonna screw up our whole deal here uh i don't think that they're necessarily wrong uh i think that white rose just feels that she is 
so many steps ahead of everybody else. Um, and like, if this show ends very nihilistically, and if it ends uh, in in very bleak fashion, then White Rose will be correct, and White Rose ultimately will not have a lot to be worried about as it pertains to Elliot Alderson. Um, despite the fact that this season has began on such a bleak note, my feeling still is this is a Christmas special. I think that we're probably going to have something akin to a happy-ish ending would be my guess. Uh, let's laugh at that prediction when we get to one of our post-finale shows later on down the line. Angela. I don't want to laugh. I want that to be right. But my feeling is that, um, you know, the bittersweet ending, you know, the bittersweet note that every show is landing, uh, aiming to land on uh, as they're closing things out. I actually think... My feeling is Mr. Robot will end on a message of connectedness is is my feeling about where this will go. If it's about this man who began so disconnected from the world uh, and even disconnected from himself, I think that this is a that, that what we're moving towards tonally ultimately will be connection. And if that's the case, then White Rose maybe should be listening to her her messengers here, right? That maybe she should be thinking of Elliot more as a good for nothing wretch because I expect that Elliot's going to be successful. I expect that Elliot is ultimately going to succeed in uh, dismantling whatever White Rose has in mind. You would think, and I, I hope you're correct. I I will say that does seem to be a weakness of White Rose. Uh, that scene with Grant in season three, episode nine, about why she listens to Elliot, why why do all these sorts of things. It is pretty telling as to the influence that Elliot may have. There is some aspect of White Rose's character that really likes Elliot's anger and rage, and that really feels like that uh, propels so much of what right, White Rose needs to do. That he is uniquely situated, more so than a hacker, the army full of hackers, that he can do things that no one else can in, in part because of his singular motivation. And while that is true, that is the very weapon that can be used and turned against white Rose. And that's the thing I think that maybe she's not seeing or understanding is his anger and his rage. It can be weaponized in such a way that, yeah, it can be used to take down white Rose's enemies. It can be used to slap Philip price around and blow up 71 buildings, but it's going to also right. hopefully be used against white Rose. And that's the part that I think is a little tricky. Speaking of a little tricky, I was a little confused. I had to really do the math on this. We know from that scene at the end of season three that that we see in the previously on for this episode, White Rose is flipping tables angrily because nothing has been done in a month time frame about moving her project to the Congo. Uh, and now what we get in this scene at the beginning of this episode with White Rose and her new assistant is that it's going to take a couple months. That time jumps us to the holiday season uh, for Elliot's plan to work. I was at first like she's obsessed with time. She was really angry over a one month delay. Why is she OK? with a two-month delay. If you were like me and being confused about that, I think that the issue is, in, it, it, we don't see it in the previously on segment, but later in that scene, the issue isn't a one-month delay. The issue is the one-month delay is as a result of martial law and serious security along the entire seaboard because of what happened with the blowing up of all the E-Corp centers. So White Rose's own mistakes and own issues and own actions are why there was such high security and why she was in capable of moving her project at all. Not just in one month, it's at all. And what we find out in this scene at the beginning of this episode here is that Elliot's plan to move the project is actually actionable. It will work. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And I think 
the idea with White Rose is that time is okay, considering the alternative is not working at all. So that is why this time, this two months is okay. We get a time jump. We end up time jumping as we go out over the water, Josh, into New York at Christmas. Normally a happy time, but man, this version of Little Drummer Boy uh, that's playing is is a dirge. It is it's blurry. It's rainy in New York Christmas. Uh, this this is Mr. Robot's version of New York Christmas on some level. I think I I'm so excited about it. I, I I'm so happy that we have this all year. Uh, I, I think it's great. I think the the visual palette, the sonic palette, um, have, having a, a real Mr. Robot take on Christmas. And in the interview that I did with with Sam, the the podcast interview that you can listen to, um, he talks about his inspiration being uh, how you know there's a great tradition in British television uh, to have you know a couple of seasons and then a Christmas special. Often we'll wrap things up, or even like the annual Christmas special, uh, and and wanting to kind of channel that here with a with a big glorified final Christmas season, uh, a gigantic Christmas special for the end of Mr. Robot. Uh, through one episode, it's playing really well, whether it's, you know, going to Freddy, uh, to Steady Freddy's Christmas party and then going to Grand Central and seeing, uh, I don't know if you if you caught this, but the, the, the man on the keytar at Ga- uh, Grand Central with the Santa hat is uh, actually that's another cameo uh, from somebody from the Mr. Robot team. That's Mac Quayle. Oh, that's uh, awesome! That's se- perfect. Serious composer, yeah, uh, the man responsible for for the the tunes you groove to so often when you're when you're bopping to the Mr. Robot theme. Uh, <laughs> he's just rocking it out on the guitar. Definitely something I do. I bop to the Mr. Robot theme. I was walking around places. New York the other day with it on, and it was actually really really cool. Uh, it is really fun if you ever visit New York. It is really fun to play the Mr. Robot. It was awesome. As you, as yeah. You around the city especially if you take a train just play the music from the show it was uh it was nighttime that. i was walking down from actually i was walking down from the grand central area down to union square so like a nice healthy walk at the in you know the pitch black night just like with mac quail's theme pulsing in my ears just as i'm like trying to get myself hyped up for mr robot right now Bopping. yeah well, i was on my way to a psychiatrist actually so it's was, <laughs> it was actually really really topical tell, tell krista i said hello <laughs> exactly uh it's really topical stuff uh it is really, really amazing. But th- I feel like the Christmas aesthetic and just sort of the Christmas theme that is uh, uh, draped all over this episode, uh, the fact that we're going to get this and uh, sort of the melancholy and the contemplation that comes with Christmas uh, throughout the season, especially after um, what's happened to Angela. And I, I, I think, again, like, you know, let's push into the episode. But I think one of the things that the that the show smartly did, this is a very complicated show. It's a very dense show. Not everybody can go back and rewatch Mr. Robot and like really pour over every detail the way that you and I did heading into season four, Antonio. And I think that often like some of those feelings, some of the like the the story specifics maybe get a little bit lost in translation from season to season to season, especially when there's almost two years in between seasons in the case of three and four. So to begin with something that is like, uh, not to not to like minimize it to this uh, effect, but I think it does have this effect of there's a serious shorthand uh, in just like emotionally crippling you by killing Angela right away. It's like okay, you don't need to remember everything else. You now are acutely aware of the stakes and and how everybody is suffering. Um, and I think to have that uh, to have Christmas being uh, a time of year that can be uh, very reflective anyway. Um, but and having so much has happened in the year 2015 in the context of Mr. Robot, which is basically the entirety of when the show has taken place, flashbacks notwithstanding, um, that I think to have Angela as that first 
um, you know, most recent benchmark, uh, you know, fence post in, in the long line of awful things that have happened in the 2015 of Mr. Robot. But to have Christmas interplaying with all of that, for me, it's really, really working as of this premiere. Definitely. Definitely. And I think you're right to observe that you can, you can feel those emotions with the Christmas dirge and that it, it is, it is there, it's present. But I, I think you're also right to observe that just having, the Christmas palette on the show means you can play with other aspects of that, right? Because we do go right from the New York rainy, blurry, uh, you know, tree at the rock kind of, uh, looks as we're getting into the time after the time jump to the Lomax law office where we're having a CD New York, not necessarily even unique to New York, unique New York. That's a tongue twister that you're supposed mm. to say to do vocal warmups. Uh, it is, uh, it's there at the Lomax law office. It's a different kind of Christmas vibe. We see another one at DDP's mom's house. We will see them throughout in the different ways that the show and different people are celebrating the holiday. I think it is really the way that the holiday office party is lit is really great. And just seeing the, the stuff that's present throughout in the background of all these scenes, it does set the stage in such a fantastic way. What about Freddie Lomax though, Josh, uh, speaking of CD, uh, my gosh, did you, did you, were you aware that we're going, we're going to have a Busey on this season? Yeah. Oh my God. And Jake Busey basically just reprising his role from Stranger Things. Yeah. Like, it looks like he walked off of Stranger Things 3 and right onto set for Mr. Robot. Uh, yes, I was aware uh, that Jake... I was aware that Jake Busey would be on Mr. Robot uh, because speaking of Grand Central and the scenes that take place in Grand Central, uh, Grand Central in this episode, uh, I was very lucky to get the chance to observe some filming uh, this season uh, as as part of my work at THR. Uh, I was uh, allowed to to observe the scene between Freddie and Elliot on the train uh, when when Mr. Busey steps onto the train and meets Elliot in person for the first time. And I spent a, a, a long night in Grand Central from about 10 p.m. until like 1, 1 in the morning watching them play that out a few times. Really cool to see how the Mr. Robot production just like turns New York City into its own little pr- playground in these after dark uh, moments. That's a, That was an unforgettable experience. Uh, but that was like the one thing that I knew about the season um, in advance. It's like, okay, so Jake Busey is going to be here. That's kind of intense. And then I glean from some of my conversations, uh, like, yeah, I don't think Jake Busey is going to be here for long. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, one sequence uh, worth of life for Freddie. Lombards. Yeah, yeah. So like the the Freddie uh, Freddie offing himself a couple of scenes later wasn't exactly a huge shocker for, for me. Like I was like, okay, that tracks. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I, I I don't know. Like I I don't know if it was the for for me. Maybe took me a little bit out of it to have somebody so recognizable in the role here uh, of Freddie for this person who is supposed to be, um, you know, has his paws all over every single document that, you know, keeps coming up as Elliot is trying to investigate, um, you know, White Rose's heart uh, to find out where's the money, where's the money for, uh, you know, is, is doing the investigation into that. And uh, this guy, Freddie, is is the gatekeeper of that. And of course, as with like all of these other awful people on the show that Elliot tends to get some leverage on, he's some sort of horrible pervert, right? Uh, some <laughs> sort of horrible underage perversion uh, going on with, with Freddie Lomax here. 
here. I like that um, when he exported his email file, it said Flomax, which, by the way, Flomax <laughs> is a is a drug. By the way, this is what it's for. It's an alpha blocker that releases the muscles in the prostate and bladder neck. That's wow, a bl- bladder okay. neck, uh, making it easier to urinate. So the PST file, uh, not, not PEE, uh, that Elliot asks him to export is a backup, essentially, of his entire email account that's on his device. So... Amazing. Exporting Fantastic. all of his emails. Uh, yeah. And Elliot gets the emails, immediately starts looking through them on the train. I love the Grand Central stuff. It, uh, Sam Espinel obviously knows how to shoot tension and espionage. Um, he, he has perfected the art at this point. Uh, it's something that I think has become a hallmark of the way he directs. Uh, never is that easier to see than in one of these train station type scenes. You're, you're talking just the hallmark, the annals of cinema from Hitchcock uh, to his his. People that copy him like Brian De Palma all the way down. Uh, train station espionage or train station scenes like this uh, are are really fun to see, and it's great to see he it loves, play out. He loves David Fincher too. Yeah. is a hu- is a huge influence on him, and you know that procedural aspect of Fincher at his best. Uh, right. I think like yeah, I, I think the way that like you're and and I love this, and I feel like we we got to talk about this. It's not just that. Um, that Christian Slater takes on the narration deep in this episode. And we have yet to hear, you know, Rami Malek doing that here in this episode. Uh, but it's, it's Christian Slater taking that over. We're also seeing, we're also seeing what integration looks How like. How they work together. For, yeah. For these characters where, uh, it's obvious, obviously Elliot cannot be in two places literally at the exact same time, but Elliot Owning Grand Central means that Elliot can see whatever is going on in Grand Central and so is able to watch security monitor feeds and all of that. And so the ways that you could play that would be Elliot and Mr. Robot sitting together on the train uh, as like we're just watching Jake Busey go through Grand Central or you can turn the security cameras into Christian Slater. Right. Right. Like you could turn the security cameras and the, the, you know, the, 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 the street cameras across the way from Freddie's law office, probably right into Christian Slater. And you having been along for Mr. Robot's ride this deep into the game can just extrapolate what that means. Uh, like the fact that Elliot is going to go to the, the John Garson honeypot later on in the episode and he is going to be rummaging through certain things and Mr. Robot rummaging through other things. You can just do the work and realize that like Elliot is just doing all of that. But it's so much more fun to watch them working together as a team. Uh, and I think that that shorthands in, in a really brilliant way um, the togetherness of these two. But the refusal to kind of communicate with each other at the same time is showing sort of like the shifting priorities of these two men uh, or these two sides of the same man. Um, but I loved that aspect of the Grand Central scene, starting off with with Christian Slater being the person who's guiding Jake Busey through everything. And then when it finally shifts to Elliot, and it's your first time in this episode seeing Rami Malek as Elliot, and so much has already happened at that point, um, makes his, uh, his first appearance so much more powerful. And not for nothing, too, uh, when Jake Busey gets off uh, the phone the first time when he's told to go to Grand Central and he says, who are you? Uh, and you just get the great line from Christian Slater. This is Mr. Robot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just 
wonderful. I just thought it was spectacular. I know. I love the way they transition from, uh, you're not, have you been following me the whole time? And then they transition from Christian Slater to Elliot saying, I've been waiting for you on the train. Right. Uh, it just that, that it, you're right. The integration, the seamlessness of the two, even if they're not talking as much, or even if Christian Slater has to talk to us, uh, seeing the two of them work together in this way or seeing what that looks like. There's another incredible moment of it later in the episode, which we'll talk about. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just really clever. Uh, the show continuing to find ways to play with this motif and to show um, the separate sides of this character, which I definitely want to get into because Elliot now seems to be prime. Like Elliot seems to be alpha and Mr. Robot seems to be doing a lot of the backpedaling or a lot of the soft pedaling in this episode. But in the scene with Freddie Lomax, they are clearly both on the same page about what needs to happen. And they're both working to get the job done. And there is no difference between the two of them such that you can bleed from one to the other very seamlessly such that uh, it's Mr. Robot, uh, Elliot as Christian Slater is saying that line. Uh, it bleeds very clearly. Uh, I, I do like that, um, that, that they can be on the same team like this and seeing it. I mean, it does play, like I said, like a caper or like an espionage movie, uh, like a thriller in just this extended sequence of scenes, um, with flow max. Um, we, are, if, you know, Freddie Lomax works with Looney law. Uh, that's obviously a tribute to Mr. Robot writer, Courtney Looney, uh, some Absolutely. Uh, writer and producer from the show, uh, also co-wrote the, the, the book, uh, the Mr. Robot book that plays into yes. the story of season two. So I, I moderated a panel with her and Mr. Esmail at uh, New York Comic Con's uh, book con uh, a couple years oh, ago. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah. That, I like that you've got Matt Quayle in this scene. We have tributes throughout uh, to people that have worked on the show. Um, we'll try to put a pin in any of those we see throughout the course of the season. Uh, but that, that that's a nice little Easter egg. Uh, not, not that even a, a huge one. I mean, it's pretty clear what's going on there. Uh, I'm not sure why the Looney family would want to partner with the Lomax family, but uh, we could talk about <laughs> yeah, that. They don't know. They don't know. Sure. They don't know what's going on. Elliot uh, does know right away, though. Like, Elliot, as soon as he imports the file, he starts searching for specific terms. Um, he searches for a silver shamrock. Uh, that's something that he types in and starts looking for. Uh, there's lots of emails about some company called InGen, I-N-G-E-N. Uh, I look through uh, what I could see on the screen. We see Zhang's name popping up a lot on the documents that Elliot is able to find. And one of the things that the key thing that, that Elliot seems to be able to find very quickly from these files is the existence of something called Cypress National Bank, which we come to find out uh, is a significant uh, find. Uh, that's something that Elliot has uh, has put a pin in saying this is the heart of what's going on with whatever White Rose is doing, Cypress National Bank. This is her heart. This is where her money is. Uh, Freddie gives Elliot another tip, though. Uh, he says that he's got to contact John Garson. Uh, and that's something that Elliot is immediately woke to and wants to find out more information about. The Dark Army is on the trail because Freddie stupidly left a Bluetooth device uh, on, you know, not, quote unquote, not electronic, uh, but it's Bluetooth available or Bluetooth capable. So the Dark Army is on his trail. They have to leave the train. Freddie goes outside, quickly realizes he can't run from whatever's coming for him and appears to take his own life. Uh, we don't see Mr. Robot in this scene. We only see Elliot. Josh, are you assuming that what happened with Freddie was on the level and that Elliot had no role other than the role we saw on screen uh, in Freddie's demise? 
Oh, that Elliot was responsible for actually killing Freddie. I just want to. I just want to get that out there because I'm sure that that's no. something people will speculate about since the two are separate and apart on some level. No, I don't think so. I I, I think that that would be too much to ask at this point. Um, I and I also think it's more effective the way that that it, if you if you if you if you interpret it as kind of like straight on the level, I think it's more impactful that um Elliot basically just allowed this guy to die, or Elliot wasn't able to. Um, come up with the words of empathy to keep this man alive for for long enough. Yeah, I mean uh, that you know the moment that that Freddie says like there's no protecting me is there. Elliot doesn't even have a response at this point, and I I think Elliot seems so laser focused on the task at hand that he's you know going to be so blind. He has such blinders on that he doesn't even see when he himself is in potentially lethal danger. Um, I think it it speaks a lot to his mental state given all of the things that he must feel so responsible for from this past year, uh, whether it's something as huge as the cyber bombings and the thousands of people who died, uh, at least in part because of actions that he put into place, or something as small and intimate and personal as Angela. I agree with you. I just want to point out that later in the episode, when it's brought up a little bit that the people are dying uh, as a result of what's happening, that Mr. Robot brings it up to Elliot, and Elliot basically says, like, they deserve it. Like, these people deserve it. They deserve to die for being involved in this. Uh, and maybe that's Elliot's self-loathing coming out or it's hinting a little bit at what you're getting at there with talking about the results of all these things that have happened. Uh, so maybe Elliot's feeling like on some level he deserves to die too. Uh, and since he's been part of this, but Elliot does feel like Freddie Lomax is not an innocent bystander. Not only is he a child creep, but he has helped White Rose through this action. And so even if you're jeopardizing other people here, even if they're involved in what White Rose is doing in Elliot's mind, at least what he articulates to Mr. Robot in this episode, they deserve it. Um, Freddie says to Elliot before he dies that these guys are pure evil. And Elliot's response is like, I'm kind of ahead of you on that point. Like, so Elliot does look at the people that are involved here as pure evil, as, as the boogeyman, as all everything that Freddie is worried about. Elliot knows that that's true, but I'm not so sure that Elliot sees people like Freddie as innocently wrapped up in it. And even though he wanted Freddie to live in that scene, which is the main reason I believe that Elliot wasn't involved in taking Freddie off the board, um, other than what you're saying that it plays better for him to be involved in the way that he was, is he wanted him to live because he wanted to get more info about John Garson, and he was unable to do so because right. Freddie took his own life. So uh, Elliot, on some level, and probably on the Mr. Robot level as well, wanted Freddie to still be alive because Freddie was somebody that still had information that Elliot wanted. This plan was not complete. So for Freddie to be taken off the board the way he was, it does impact Elliot's ability to get the information he needs. I don't think Mr. Robot would have done that because it's Mr. Robot who is later soft peddling and saying, we don't have all the information we need. We shouldn't go through with this. I just, I think it's interesting to talk about where Mr. Robot's goals are in all this. There are several times throughout this episode that Mr. Robot kind of tries to talk Elliot off the ledge, even in the face of Elliot, I think rightly articulating time is ticking here, man. Like if we don't get this done, we are going to die. Uh, White Rose says that in the first scene, Elliot knows it to be true. Um, there is a very clear expiration date on Elliot in this show. Soon as that project gets shipped, White Rose does he not dead, need Elliot anymore. Dead. Right. Yeah, exactly. So Mr. Robot's arguments that maybe we should soft pedal this, or maybe we should take our time, or maybe we shouldn't jeopardize other people, they're falling on deaf ears, I think, correctly. But I'm just wondering if they're still if they really are on the same page. 
That's a clear way in which they're different. And I wonder why Mr. Robot would be willing to try to jeopardize that and wouldn't be listening to reason on that point. If not, maybe because there, he represents a part of Elliot that feels responsible in this way. And that maybe if you're not compartmentalizing Angela away, we hear Elliot himself saying, Hey, uh, we didn't do this. Like we tried to help her. Elliot says that to Darlene later, but maybe Mr. Robot or maybe some part of Elliot as either not in Mr. Robot or otherwise feels like like he's responsible for this and feels like he does deserve to die. Uh, and so maybe that's the part that's trying to throw a spanner in this. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating based on what I think people will speculate about and something that I want to, at least the, the behavior between Elliot and Mr. Robot is something I think we definitely, because we've done it so specifically and so deep throughout three seasons, it's something we definitely need to put a pin in here. Uh, because I, I don't know that everything we're seeing between the two of these two is exactly as we see it. I think that we always have to speculate that there are parts of Elliot that may have a separate agenda against the other parts of Elliot and that they're maybe not always on the same page. Throughout the course of the show, that has been the case uh, until the very end here, until this last part of season three. So maybe they found a new new ground, but Mr. Robot tells us directly that they haven't and that they're not on the same page and he doesn't even talk to Mr. Robot that much. So I, I definitely want to track where we're at with the relationship between the two of them. I think it's still very worthwhile to do so. Okay, cool. Uh, well, there's definitely a lot that we yes. can get into yeah, deeper into the episode too. Uh, a- after Freddy's death, though, we get a couple of scenes that are away from Elliot, that are away from Mr. Robot. We're getting our uh, our only uh, Tyrell Wellick check-in of the episode, <laughs> as well as the first of two DDP scenes. Uh, let's start with Tyrell. Tyrell Wellick, finally the CTO of Evil Corp. And sure looks like a great gig. Yeah, you never get what you want, right? Like, never yeah. watch out. Yeah. Be careful. Watch with what you wish for. You just might get it. Uh, it really is like that kind of a thing, right? Where like you you fantasize about this great thing for yourself your entire life. You sacrifice so much to to get it. You you put on the blue murder gloves and kill a few people, break a few eggs to make the omelet, uh, and then you're sitting in the power chair and you're Doctor Claw suddenly. Uh, and uh, Gadget gets you every time. Except like that would be interesting compared to what Terrell's uh, existence seems like. He's just sitting in a chair. He's going to be dragged from meeting to meeting to freaking meeting. Uh, and it's taken all of this time. It's taken, what, like two months for his assistant to finally be like, you're so brave. Everything you've done was so great and courageous and cool. And here's Tyrell just like sitting there being like, I'm a puppet. Puppet, puppet, I'm the puppet. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, this lady says, we, we all think you're a hero. Like, this is dude is a terrorist. Let us not forget. Uh, hero for what he did. What he did was kill thousands of people, lady. Like, uh, this is not a hero. He's not just being lionized on screen. He's being lionized off screen when Freddie Lomax is in the cab and we see a news report about how everything's going great. The economy's turned around. The job report's going crazy. The news anchor says, like, about about Tyrell Wellick, sometimes the good guys really do come out on top. And we see what that looks like because this isn't a good guy. Whether he's on top or not, he should not be feeling good about it because he's done some horrible stuff. The sacrifices he's made to get there have not proved to be worth it. And he is a puppet. That said, uh, who's pulling the strings? That's, I think, where we want to put uh, the, the, where we want to put our, our eyes on Tyrell because the previously on segment before this episode did show when Philip Price said, you'll be a puppet CTO. 
go, they showed Mr. Robot saying, we can use it. So the question does become like, how will Tyrell's role at E-Corp ultimately be something that Elliot or Robot can weaponize uh, and bring back into the fold in this battle against White Rose? That's what the previously on reminded us about, that Robot thought that was something that could be useful. Uh, As we see it right now, it's not useful for much except for upsetting Tyrell. Yeah, pretty much. And he doesn't seem happy. He seems pretty, pretty miserable. Yeah. So it's a it's a limited appearance from Tyrell right away. But I think a good check-in, um, just to remind us of like where he's at emotionally. Joanna's dead. There's no update on the baby. The baby's still just like drifting off in <laughs> in like baby land. Or if not, maybe he's just like sleepless right now on top of everything right, yeah, else. Right? Single dad life. You know, that SDL, but uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like it's uh, Tyrell's in his own personal hell. And how yeah. bad should we feel for this guy? Listen, if if Mr. Robot can accomplish uh, us feeling bad for Tyrell after everything that he has done again, magic trick. And it's it's something that Mr. Robot has been able to do uh, many times before. So I wouldn't put it past the show. Um, it's just yeah, it's still fresh on my mind that this guy. Uh, he went all in on the cyber bombing. So for him to be in like corporate misery right now, uh, this was like a pleasure zone for the episode <laughs> for the episode for me, given how miserable everybody else seems to be. Like I did not mind seeing Tyrell so miserable. Um, Dominic Di Piero also miserable uh, back home in New Jersey, just like chugging booze and living alone with her with her ma. Uh, and uh, she's going through her house because, like, she's scared that the Dark Army is going to be there any second. It seems like, uh, and there's a plumber who she nearly shoots, uh, and it's very funny. It's very funny, and also it, 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 this scene, by the way, Antonio, yeah. the the gasps that the Angela death elicited in the theater. This scene elicited outrageous amounts of laughter. Interesting. People, Peels people of laughter. Were, people were dying watching this scene. <laughs> it was really, really funny to watch. Be careful what the people were dying part. This I is know. a, a sore spot know. for this episode. I know. I know. Um, yeah, it, it is funny. It is funny and sinister at the same time, right? Because even when the plumber, let's just call him Mario because he's a plumber and he's in New York. I'm just, I want to call him Mario because I want, uh, my brother is named Mario. I've been called Luigi my whole life. So I have an affinity for these Italian, the Mario, the Mario brothers, the Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. So this is not the first time we're talking about Mario on a podcast on Post Show Recap. So this works. <laughs> it works out real well. Yeah. Uh, yes. Real well. But the, the plumber, uh, as DDP confronts him in her mother's master bedroom, uh, he is there, or, or the remodeling guy. Well, he's not a plumber, but he's there to, to remodel the master bedroom or master bathroom. Uh, there is a freaking po- Am I wrong about this? There's a poster of a white rose on the wall. There's a poster of a white rose on the freaking wall. <laughs> and the plumber is reflected onto the poster uh, you can freeze frame it you can screenshot it you can i'm sure it'll be all over reddit uh what is going on here like is this just baiting us to show yes, us the, the, absolutely okay. right like I, that can't i mean the, what are we gonna find out that the plumber actually is a dark army agent is that where this is gonna go <laughs> maybe i don't it's think Wario. So. maybe it's not yeah. mario yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I, the, th- the thing is, if you're DDP and you're staying at home with Ma and you're staying at, well, we're not, I'm not going to discuss the food that they're eating because I'm triggered to have my to. eternal core. Have uh, but let's just say that you're there and you're wandering throughout the house listlessly, uh, worried about the dark army and your mom's got a picture of a white rose in her bedroom. You're ripping that thing off the wall, right? 
I would think Ma, so. I don't think that go. I would keep that there. Ma, yeah. the poster's got to go. This is my um, this is my mortal enemy. Uh, a poster of a white rose on the wall. This is this poster's got to go, Ma. Unless like this was like one of like her first like Dark Army assignments, where it's like here's a piece of artwork, put it on the wall. Oh God, just like, to, uh, just like your daily reminder, your daily affirmation of who up, you work yeah. for. We're gonna make sure a plumber comes in every now and then to make sure it's still up there. I think it's just a cute nod. Uh, I don't think it's anything more than that. I think it's an Easter. I'd like to see DDP ripping that thing off the wall at some point. That's my new <laughs> yeah, goal for this for this season. Uh, yeah, white rose poster on the wall. She's freaking out. Obviously, has not. You've got a two month time jump since the end of the season, as we talked about. Those two months have not been kind to DDP in terms of her role in the story. In terms of her role as an FBI agent, she is not at her apartment. She's crashing with her ma. It's not going well, uh, and her mother recognizes this. Is trying to get her to go to bake sales josh is trying to set her up uh so she's clearly out and proud to her mom which is great i'm glad she has that support but it is not something that uh she is welcoming right now ma ma is not playing a great role in the story other than being very much jeopardized uh which we'll talk about parts of her mother are not safe yeah uh the the high seas have been called upon oh no <laughs> uh, as we as we talk about what's going on at dom's house uh but yeah she's not doing well uh, we, we go from here, we check back in with Elliot and Robot. We talked a lot already about what they are talking about, so I don't think we need to rehash it too much. They're looking into Cypress Bank. They think that it's, uh, it's the way to access White Rose's quote unquote heart. If we shoot him in the heart, uh, then it's over. Uh, but I think that the, uh, the thing that went undiscussed as we talked about some of this stuff is, uh, where their base of operations is. Yeah, it's right an Alf safe, right? Yeah, Alf safe. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've, they've taken over, uh, the, the, the husk of all safe is the new F society. This is the new uh, F society. This is the new uh this is the new HQ for the two-headed beast known as Elliot Mr. Robot Alderson. Uh I like that. I love I, it. You I know, love I it. think at this point they can't go back to F society. It's too hot. It's too on the radar. It would be it would be unbelievable for them to spend like a meaningful amount of time at F society. Though I'm sure we'll see it again uh before the end of the season we'll go back to Coney Island. Uh, can't imagine that this season passes without us doing that. Um, but I think for them to be here at, at all safe, uh, I mean, I guess this would be pretty hot too, but I just think, I think it's cute. I like it. Uh, I, I don't think it's too cute. I think it's appropriate. No, I think it's great. And I think it also is great to see it in, in, in as, as shambles. It, it is representative of everything or one thing that Elliot has lost. That's where Elliot worked with Angela. That's where Elliot worked with Gideon. That's where Elliot worked to try to protect things before he took them down. This is ground zero for the E-Corp hack. This is where all of these things in season one took place. Uh, and it represented Elliot, I think, in a much more innocent time to see it in the way that it is in a state of disrepair. So it doesn't say all safe. It says all safe. I think it's uh, it's really cool to see a show in its final season revisiting it in that way. It's also cool to see Elliot's Pepe Silvia wall. I definitely think I, I want to see DDP in this room at some point soon, uh, working with Elliot to try to draw these connections. I think that's a, a missing piece here uh, because we saw her with a similar wall in the FBI. Um, Elliot's doing this all on his own. Yes, he has Mr. Robot 
robots help. Uh, but this is something Elliot cannot, cannot continue to do on his own. He definitely needs help with this. He may need help from us, Josh. Uh, this is something I think people on Reddit are going to have a lot of fun with. There are a lot of really fun Easter eggs in this room. We see Nakatomi Industries on one of the cards. Uh, we see Network 23 on one of the cards. We see names of department stores, law firms, Shell Corps, LLCs. Um, we see one that says uh, Brulard Moreau, which is a, a Kubrick reference to Passive Glory. We see Joker and Pile, which is a reference to Full Metal Jacket. There's yep. a lot of really fun uh, Easter eggs in the background on these cards. There also are a lot of numerical addresses, uh, which I think are probably part of the ARG or some of these things that uh, people follow along with this show. I think people on Reddit will have a lot of fun uh, finding out what's at these various sites that are referenced here by number uh, or figuring out uh, what those numbers ultimately mean for the ARG. So this is uh, red meat for that as well. But like we said, it's also red meat for where are Elliot and Robot at this time. We did talk about this a little bit, but the role reversal is very clear. Uh, Elliot and Robot are switched. Elliot wants to go charging headfirst at Garson and Robot is the one urging restraint. That has never been the case. Think back to the beginning of season two when Elliot has imprisoned himself. Robot is literally shooting Elliot in the head saying, we have to be out there. We have to be doing this. Why are you doing this to yourself? And it is Elliot who wants to be restrained and Elliot who doesn't want to do that. It is the very opposite. Robot, in fact, says, don't do this for the wrong reasons. You are angry. Don't do this for the wrong reasons. And then it is Elliot who turns Robot's words back at Robot with it. You don't take a conglomerate down by shooting him in the heart right back to season one episode one uh so i i really think that uh this is great and then elliot has his f rant is this the official f rant for the season elliot says i'm worried people will forget they're going to buy their christmas hams and their e-coin stocking stuffers i don't blame them they're exhausted I'm exhausted. So Elliot says, F my feelings. I'm done with the therapy sessions. Is this season one, F society, season two, F God, season three, F me, season four, F my feelings. Is this it? Is that powerful enough for you? Does that does that feel satisfying for you? F my feelings. It was presented in a rant style. Uh, it was not presented similar to how we've seen these other rants. It was more of uh, Elliot talking directly to Mr. Robot, not Elliot ranting to Krista or Elliot ranting to himself. It, it didn't land in the way, but I mean, that is directly what he said, and it is a statement of intent. Um, he basically says, this is all I'm focused on. So I don't know. It's a good question. Is it powerful enough for you? Um, I, I think it is insofar as how it operates, um, you know, thematically alongside with, uh, you know, where we are culturally. And I think that uh, that Rami's uh, not, not well, Rami is the person who is delivering the line as Elliot. But I think that Elliot's line here of uh, we're exhausted. I'm they're exhausted. I'm exhausted. Uh, but you still have to fight um, is is very representative of how it feels like. Every freaking day, there's a new nightmare to contend with right. in the news or a new revelation about uh, your current existence and the, you know, the, the people who are governing us here in America. And it's just exhausting. Uh, and it, it can be so demoralizing and so destabilizing. Um, but what Elliot is saying here is like, but screw my feelings, you know, forget my feelings, leave that aside. There's work to be done. Um, is that the answer? Is the answer like you have to shut that stuff off so you can just focus on righting the wrongs? My feeling is no. Uh, my feeling is that 
that way lies madness and that way lies disconnection. And yes, you have to fight, but you can't stop feeling as well. So for this to be the ultimate landing point uh, for Elliot's journey in the final season, I doubt it. Uh, and especially considering where this attitude gets him by the end of the episode. Uh, so so I think it, it, it certainly represents where he is currently um, at this point in the story. Um, but I imagine that there is... Uh, there is something a little more hopeful waiting for him at the end of uh, 413. Yeah, and the F rants, uh, F society, F God, F me, F my feelings, I think they are often representative of Elliot's feelings, but they're not representative of what where Elliot needs to be in terms of processing this. If you think about Elliot's F society rant, he's sort of turned the corner on that at this point, right? Like, he's beyond that. It is not something, even in season three, he puts that to bed. His F God rant was... He's his way of, you know, with Mr. Robot saying you were supposed to be my God, you're my prophet, that rant about needing somebody to tell him what to do or feeling like there's some greater force that should be influencing these events. He's turned the corner on that. F me. He's turned the corner on that here ultimately by not putting himself at the center of what's happening and by saying like, I need to, you know, this needs to happen. It's not my fault. I'm going to compartmentalize that. And he's saying now F my feelings here. As you're saying, I think correctly, for this ultimately to end where it needs to end, he needs to turn the corner on that as well. He needs to find a way to bring the two things together, bring all of these things together, re-embrace society, perhaps re-embrace the idea that he's not at the top of this chain, that there is some spirituality or at least improve on his spiritual practice and not put himself at the center of being upset or his own anger at the center of being upset. He's got to turn the corner on all these efforts for it to end up where it needs to end up for him. And I do think we will get there by the end of the season. I'm just wondering if this is our last version of an F rant from him or if we're going to get another one. But I, I think this might have been uh, a, a thing like that from those previous seasons. We glossed over it, Josh. Um, but Robot, you know, when we come into this season, this scene, Elliot ignores a call from Darlene. It is Robot who takes the call from Darlene. Uh, again, the role reversal there, uh, that Robot is willing to engage with Darlene. Elliot is not. Um, she does come back into the show here, uh, by showing up at Elliot's apartment where he is still set up. There is no flipper. Apparently the landlord took flipper. That seemed like a lie to me. I'm a little concerned about what might have become of flipper. I'm I don't know that we'll ever get clarity on it. I'm assuming Cordy is gone, by the way. Um, but yeah. Cordy got taken out by White Rose, unless Philip Price is keeping Cordy for sentimental reasons. Uh, but I don't know what's up with landlord. I don't with the landlord. I also don't know what's up with Darlene. She's clearly on on coke or some other amphetamine, but she may be on hallucinogenics. She thinks she saw Angela. Josh, yeah. Uh, do, should we pay any credence to this, or is, are, is this the rantings of a mad woman? I think it's the rantings of a mad woman, um, unless like White Rose's thing already has started to work and like an alternate universe. Angela is going to emerge deeper into the season, which would be crazy, um, but I don't expect it to happen. Um, that being said, if there is some sort of psychic break that is occurring with Darlene and if there is something, you know, genetic about what Elliot has, uh, you know, suffered from in his dissociative identity disorder uh, that Darlene could start feeling the effects of as well. Why couldn't Angela be her Ms. Robot? 
It's a good point. That is in the, in the ballet shoes are right there. Maybe not the Mr. Robot jacket, but maybe she puts the ballet shoes on and parades around. Uh, and maybe that's where that comes from. I, that's possible. They're the same. They're from the same family. Uh, and they're from the same circumstances. So it stands to reason that it's at least possible that Darlene has some issues like that. Substance abuse can certainly exacerbate those issues. So I think that's, uh, that's an interesting supposition there. Elliot knows for sure that it, at least from the picture that was sent, that there isn't a there there that we see. It's like again, yeah. we get we get another little flash, yep. uh, another uh, another little Fincherism, a- another uh, little Fincherism. A- unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this was graphic. Uh, it was not great to see. Uh, I I hope that you all didn't pause down and you just assume you just like you see the little blip on the screen when Elliot and Robot are talking about the picture of Angela that White Rose sent, and just the quick flash was all that you needed because uh, I don't recommend you take a closer look. It's upsetting. I I did. I mean, I have to do, look, we're here. We have to do our yeah, work. No, you and I have to do yeah. it. But the average listener, this is why you have us. Yeah. You don't have to go and see Angela's shot face. Right. Uh, that's for Antonio and I to have. Eyes to open, hole in head, definitely dead. Not cool. Not great. Not Bad. great, Bob. Uh, and the, it is interesting to me that Darlene and Elliot seem to have done some work at some point to determine what happened to Angela. Darlene says she was wearing the same stuff and pushing the same thing we saw on the security footage of her getting into a van. Elliot has done his homework. He didn't just let Angela be. Uh, He is, however, at this position now wanting to let Angela be maybe because he saw that picture. Again, I find the the interesting interplay between Elliot and Robot here fascinating. There's that great moment when Elliot walks into the scene when Darlene is saying like it's about Angela. Elliot rolls his eyes, turns heel and pivots away and Robot walks in the scene. He same. has no time for this. Yeah, Elliot <laughs> Robot walks right in. Robot's got all the time in the world. Robot will 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 pedal, will, you know, he'll handle Angela with their or Darlene with a soft touch when Elliot will not. And so that's fascinating fascinating to me. It just, even though that is happening and even though Elliot's the one who doesn't seem to have time for Angela and or, or Angela's, you know, Darlene's observances about Angela, uh, Elliot ultimately pushes Darlene back against the wall. That seems like the robot element of Elliot, uh, angry yeah. pushing her against the wall. So robot in, in this scene as Christian Slater is soft pedaling and handling Angela with a soft touch, but it's Elliot who's angrily confronting her and saying, wise up. So is that the robot element of Elliot? Is there some what the hell is going on here? Ultimately? Yeah, well, I think Elliot is more robot than Elliot, and robot is more Elliot than robot right now. And I and I think part of that is um, uh, from the perspective of Elliot, I can imagine him now being like, I have to be fully mission oriented because the stakes are so high and I've cost so many. You know, the cost has been so great, and we just have to get it done. F my feelings, I don't have time for it. And I can imagine the perspective from robot who has aspects of Elliot within his own side of the personality um, realizing at this point after all of the growth that he has been through across these seasons uh, being like if I don't take time to properly process and feel my feelings I'm going to be too blind and I'm going to get locked in an apartment belonging to somebody who doesn't exist and dragged out to the tune of don't worry be happy right uh, you know like I think that robot understands at this point 
through the growth that Robot has been through from the perspective of Robot having been locked out of Elliot's life at certain points along the way, realizing just how important it is to actually connect with some of these people and connect with himself, uh, wanting to connect with Elliot and seeing Elliot's full refusal to even connect with us anymore. Not like, you know, not not um, not allowing himself to invest in anybody at this point or anything other than the mission, I think that the very mission-focused robot understands that the best way to accomplish the mission is to find some balance. Um, and Elliot's just not doing that. And Robot has the great line when when the scene pivots, Darlene's gone, and and Robot and, and Elliot are talking, and Robot's like, why didn't you just show her the picture? Right. Uh, and then, you know, Elliot gets back to work, and Robot steps in and starts talking to us. And, you know, the, the end of... Uh, robots conversation with us is like listen i don't give a shit about you like you know <laughs> but he does right and so like he knows that the, and elliot matters to him so we matter to robot insofar as we matter to elliot uh and so robot is acutely aware of that emotional relationship so funny to be talking about this character as though he's his own separate entity but you know what <laughs> i mean like this come off josh <laughs> <laughs> wait till i get going wait till i get uh, going yeah you know but i i think all of those things are tracking with the general idea of like the mission is not going to be accomplished until elliot is able to like find some semblance of center again well and it's almost there because you're right it is robot who says show him the picture and it is then elliot who says that would break her heart and so elliot still has that ounce of humanity in him and has that sense of emotion in him even as it's robot who's saying hey just be a little tough with her be a little stern show her the picture it is elliot who wants to shield her from that even in the same scene as it's elliot who's shoving her against the wall and elliot i think what we're seeing in that moment is his emotion coming out and the emotion is guilt darlene is right to highlight that she dally it says angela's dead she's fucking dead that's not our fault we tried to help her we tried to help her remember like she did this to herself you have to stop feeling guilty that is elliot talking to himself as much as he's talking to darlene in that moment and darlene recognizes that and says i'm not the one that feels guilty but Elliot's rant there in that moment. I'm not sure if it, if it, if it, uh, if it's hollow that it doesn't stay or if it's <laughs> true. Um, I, I, I don't know if they tried to help Angela. I don't know where the line should be drawn in terms of Elliot's responsibility in terms of what happened with Angela. We did talk about how Angela ultimately had agency over her ultimate fate, but in the moment, like, did the, was the die was cast by all of their actions. That's what dragged Elliot into this, thinking back to Angela's involvement. Involvement in the hack at uh, of the FBI with the fem to sell. That's Darlene drawing Angela into this. Elliot in prison saying, I don't want Angela in this. That is Darlene drawing her in. Angela had agency. Angela wanted to be part of it. Uh, and Angela came and told Elliot that. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that Elliot is completely guilt free. And I think he is right to feel some sense of responsibility for all this. Uh, it is Elliot, remember, straying from the original hack and targeting Terry Colby, uh, that put a lot of this stuff, the back door in play with E Corp, uh, that led to the Cisco hack of Angela that led to them needing to have a backdoor in all safe uh, and find out about the infected server. 
And that was Elliot trying to protect Angela. Uh, so Elliot's emotions have gotten him in trouble throughout. And I think he's right to compartmentalize. But Robot is saying, ultimately, like this compartmentalization he's doing to compartmentalize the pain, much in the way that you compartmentalize the pain around the holidays to live in the distraction. Uh, we see Emmy Rossum caroling uh, in, in yes. yet another cameo in this episode. Uh, Sam Esmail, uh, Sam Esmail's beloved, uh, caroling in, in this episode to compartmentalize the pain. Uh, maybe that's a effective for Elliot, but I think you're, again, very correct to observe that there has to be some happy... He has to come into full form and confront some of these demons and to really be able to deal with that pain, much like he did in Don't Delete Me in Season 3, uh, when he talked to Trenton's brother, Muhammad. Uh, we need to see that. We need to see Elliot really come to grips with all of this, I think, for him to be fully effective. And it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out, considering this season's only going to be a period of days. There's going to be a breaking point that Elliot reaches. I'm a little worried about what it might be if it's not taking Angela off the board, uh, what might ultimately break Elliot and have him confront some of these issues. Uh, but it's it's fascinating to see how that is ultimately playing out with the differentiation between he and Robot, with the compartmentalization, whether it's Robot uh, being the one that's soft-pedaling or whether it's Robot, as you're observing, talking to us directly. It is Robot saying, like you said, let's not go into this apartment. Let's not go into this honeypot. It is Elliot who charged forward and look where they ended up. Uh, it is ultimately Elliot whose life is going to be jeopardized by that action. I'm not sure that that's not what he wants uh, on some level. On the prime level though, he definitely does not want it. But there's some part of him that does feel responsible for all this. There's some part of him that probably does feel like he deserves whatever he has coming to him. And there's some part of him that is still willing to fight. So watching all those things uh, find harmony in their discord uh, will be, I think, what we see over the course of this season. And it will be hopefully what leads us to some happiness for sure yeah all right so they go to the john garson honeypot and i mean how much do you want to talk about this other than the fact that this is a fun sequence right it's, it's fun it's fun to see elliot and robot both taking apart the room separately uh you know the whole time that something is up because there's so much dust on the tables or there's a tag here or a stock photo uh you know straight off of getty images right. like on the table uh, so you know that something is wrong and like the second that they're locked in they're like okay cool dark army on the way yeah uh but for the for the fact that like they're that that Elliot's going to get dragged out to don't worry be happy. I was I was a little worried that he that I mean I was worried from that moment of dragging before that that he was going yeah. to end up that, that no exit the book that Mr. Robot picks up definitely has a character named Garson in it so right on the nose there that's the signal that this is probably a honeypot and this is probably fake uh, we've got a book here that has the character's name like maybe we shouldn't be as confused like there's a Garson in that but that's a play about three dead people uh, stranded in a, in a in a room in hell and it's Essentially, their hell is going to be having to live with each other forever. Uh, Mr. Robot and Elliot are only two people, and as far as I know, only one of them is dead. So I don't know if Elliot's going to start manifesting, like you mentioned with Angela, perhaps being manifested by Darlene. I don't know if Elliot's going to start manifesting another dead person. I don't know if the three dead people in No Exit uh, is supposed to be representative of something in this scene. But I worried, because No Exit is about hell and about death, uh, that this was going to end very poorly for Elliot. And the the episode goes directly into that ending very poorly for Elliot, for sure. Yeah. Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> Fruity Pebbles. A conversation in some language that I'm sure someone on Reddit will translate. Uh, and I'm wondering, it'll probably just be some vagaries that may or may not be connected to the story. This man who will be able to process it. Uh, FaceTiming. You know, for I, I for the next really, episode. Yeah, I couldn't really pick up on anything that he might have been saying other than I, I don't know. There was something I thought I, that he said, but I, I, I just don't know. Who knows what he says? 
Uh, but Elliot's going to be dragged out. We'll get to what's going on with Elliot later. It was just a really fun scene. Uh, and, and nice to have, like, again, this is another, uh, you know, provider of, of laughs and relief in the theater uh, as, as Don't Worry, Be Happy comes on. On an iPod uh, with a click wheel. I have one of those and I can't get it fixed and it's driving me crazy. Oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Um, it's not your fault, just, is it? We get to another. Uh, I'm obviously yada yadaing because I broke your iPod and I don't want to confess that. Oh my god! Uh, we 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 go from that to uh, to to dinner with Janice. Uh, and when when Dar- when Dom's mom originally says I'm going to go meet up with Janice, and I thought that like just like the the caricature of the New Jersey Italian mother, uh, you know, kind of like Carmela esque, was really just to and, and like adding a woman named Janice. Uh, was just to like kind of like pay homage to The Sopranos, which I know uh, is uh, is is a show near and dear to the hearts of anyone who's working in television today. Uh, but certainly the Mister Robot team. But then to actually have a character named Janice showing up, I was very taken off guard. Uh, at this dinner scene. And then Antonio, I was really taken off guard <laughs> when we leave the dinner scene and Janice reveals herself, and and that's bad on me. I think I I felt. I felt unsettled when we saw the taxidermed tiger yes. in the in the front seat of the car. It's like, okay, Dark Army. This seems like that could make some sense. Um, but uh, I I should have I should have really known just the second I saw Ashley Atkinson, who's a new series regular this season, who plays Janice, uh, who was terrific and unsettling and terrifying in Black Klansman, uh, the Spike Lee joint. Uh, that she was just so so good in, uh, and here she is. As if we can't get Bobby kind of all back on Mister Robot this season, and hopefully we can get him back on the show this season at some point. Eh, uh, but if we can't have Irving in the mix, here we are with Janice uh, Ashley Atkinson playing the role, and again announcing herself grandly. Very grandly, uh, very grandly with some specific words that we, we talked about already. Uh, menace. This, this character is a menace and in part a menace because she seems so not menacing, right? So not, not menacing that she can work her way in with, uh, DDP's mom, no problem. That she can show up and drink wine in her home and eat, uh, pasta and sauce, um, is what we're going to definitely call it. We're not going to call you it. You have an issue thing. with macaroni and gravy. Don't What's say it? Why are you continuing to say it? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be offensive i just i don't understand uh i guess i don't understand the issue (sighs) it's not what it's called i mean i there are people who call it that this is a fierce debate within uh i guess the diaspora the italian community spread throughout the world uh of which you are a part yes whether we call it gravy or sauce uh it's not gravy it's sauce gravy i think is what it became called by italian americans to sort of distinguish it uh and make it linked to other cuisine uh gravy is if if that's gravy i want to know what people put on turkey do they put sauce on turkey like do they put <laughs> sauce on biscuits like uh-huh. you don't go to the you know you don't, and you don't go to the museum of macaroni in in italy you go to the museum of pasta and it is pasta that's the word and again to reference the sopranos there's the great uh episode where they go to italy and Polly walnuts makes a huge ass out of himself by asking for someone to where's the gravy yeah and all the the, the italians are like this guy is such a twerp commendatore <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. This is not uh, <laughs> yes. this is not what we need. I think it means commandant. Yeah, no, we don't need that. 
Uh, I, it, it's a Jersey thing for sure. I think. I mean, I've heard people from other parts of like Pennsylvania I, say I, it. As, from a, as an East Coaster, as a as a tri-state guy myself, and somebody who is uh, friends with a lot of Italian Americans from this area, uh, I have heard it before. Yeah. Uh, not not across the board, and in fact, you know, my my closest Italian American friend uh, from this area certainly does not call it that. Just calls it sauce. You're from Long um, Island. I mean, I don't think like on Long Island it is it is a macaroni gravy uh, area. I could be wrong. I've never heard it. I've never heard macaroni, but I have heard gravy. Well, I think not, the funny thing is, I think people are more unified calling it macaroni. Uh, but that's what Yankee uh, Yankee Doodle stuck a feather in his hat and called. So <laughs> it's not what you eat. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you eat macaroni and cheese, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, if you're eating like bow tie pasta or farfalla and, and like sauce, you're not eating macaroni. Uh, but whatever, whatever. I'm sure everyone that feels strongly about, I'm sure Team Gravy is going to be after me in the mentions, but uh, come at me in my mentions, Team Gravy. I don't care. Man. This is not my life. Uh, All right. I got to I gotta get myself out of it. All right, let's sleep while we're hot. Uh, let's, let's talk about camp, let's talk about Janice. And Janice is like, oh yeah, well your mom's trying to set us up. That's cool. Hey, by the way, don't forget to go back in and talk about Santiago. I'm Dark Army. Hey, yeah. I'm Dark Army. I'm gonna kill your mom. I'm gonna do it in a really bad way. Uh, Janice. I, fun uh, fact is, I, the actress who plays Janice, I looked her up, uh, and I first seen her on Rescue Me. I remember the role that she played there. She was also in one episode of Boardwalk Boardwalk Empire where she played the wife of Gang. Jip Rossetti, uh, who was played oh. by Bobby Cannavale. So we got <laughs> a Dark Army connection here. Maybe there's going to Incredible. be a connection between Irving. Uh, maybe this is the wayward mother of Irving's sons that he watches Big Brother with. Maybe she had too much of his meaty damn hands. I don't know. That's so good. Put it in the gravy. Put it right, uh, right in the gravy. Uh, yeah. So Janice is great. Um, this is not great for DDP, obviously. Um, this is somebody Janice says, you know, hey, you can choke me out all you want. Uh, they're not gonna, it's not going to stop him from coming. Like, there's going to be other people behind me. There's going to be the dark army is huge. Uh, and so we know she's not the only operative they have. She just happens to be one who has direct access to DDP. This is not going well for DDP so far. It's also not going well for Darlene. Josh Darlene is having some sort of ongoing drug party at Angela's apartment. You know, it's not going well when you're sitting there talking or around the dumbest people in the entire world. I'm talking about flat earthers um, that the dumbest people literally in the entire world uh, are sitting there behind Darlene and there, and there's drugs. Darlene's friend who shows up says, Hey, Dar doesn't even know who Angela is. Um, Darlene gets really triggered by everything going on in the apartment, people being in Angela's bedroom. Uh, the ballet slippers upset Darlene. Things are not going well for Darlene. We're only going to see a season for a few days here. Any chance she turns the corner over these few days? I hard hard to see. Uh, has to right because otherwise it's just a that's a one note Darlene. Um, is, is she is she able is she going to be at a place where she'll be able to feel her feelings in a way where um, where she can she can find that level of center that we're hoping that Elliot is going to be able to find? It's a good question. It's a good question, and I don't know the answer. I mean, you have to you have to wonder what could snap her out of it, if anything. Like, is is actually going is she actually going to see Angela? I mean, she said that she saw Angela. That doesn't mean anything to us. But if we are following Darlene around and we see something that looks like Angela, will that change it? And will that ultimately have us rooting for something, some more clarity on that or Elliot being involved in that more clearly? The other aspect of this, I thought for a minute at this party that we were going 
going to get Fernando Vera being involved. That was a, the big cliffhanger at the end of season three. Vera is the one who confronts Darlene. We see, as far as I can tell, no evidence of Vera in this episode. And I, I don't know that anything that happened between Vera and Darlene uh, is impacted uh, where Darlene is in this scene or the other scene. But maybe it did. Maybe that's something where, where Vera being involved in the story somehow will connect to Darlene in some way. Um, she's also obviously askance with DDP. We don't know of whether she is still involved in some kind of FBI action. Um, she was, last we had on the table, a confidential source. Yes, Santiago got taken off the table. But that doesn't mean Darlene would have been taken off the table as far as the official FBI story is concerned. So I don't know where she is with that. All I know is wherever she is, it's brutal right now. And I don't know what can pull her out of it. Um, it's certainly not her brother right now. It's certainly not uh, anything else that we see on the show. So I guess we just have to question what could be coming. All right. Well, we we see what's coming for Elliot. Bad. Uh, af- it's bad. After, he, after he's been dragged, he's been dragged out and he's he's been dragged back to his apartment, which is nice. Uh, and he he gets plopped down in a chair and he's just screaming bloody murder. Uh, like really like this is the stuff. This is like, uh, you know, key robot rant material here. He's going through every uh, stage of grief almost like, right. He's like in denial. He's in bargaining. Uh, he never quite reaches acceptance, maybe until the very end, but he's begging for his life. Uh, and he's, he's saying basically like she can't get away with this, but he also starts to say like, I can't leave like this. I've hurt so many people. I have to make it right, which I think is more clear motivation uh, from Elliot than maybe we see in the course of the rest of the episode. He is basically saying, like, I've done a lot of harm to people. I have to make it right. And that, I, I, I think, is uh, is something where when, when I think that's the most clearly stated motivation for the character that we see. Um, he also talks about knowing about Cyprus National Bank. That seems to make the executioner, uh, the executioner, uh his ears perk up a little bit. Um, at, at at any point during this scene, Josh, did you feel like this team was working for Philip Price or did you feel throughout like they were working for White Rose? I thought that they were Dark Army all the way through. Um, but I, I confess that I had a hard time focusing on it because like, I knew immediately that that was Sam. So Espen. did I. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the figure uh, was clear. Yeah, it was just it was very clear to me the whole time that it was Sam Esmail. Uh, and even watching it for the second time in the theater with uh, my wife was there. Emily was with me. And Emily kept like nudging me. She's like, is that Sam? And I was just like not saying anything. And she's like, is that Sam? And I was like, oh, come on, just watch the show. <laughs> like, you know, it, it was it was very hard for me to not be a little bit distracted by the fact that uh, pretty clearly Mr. Esmail uh, was here for a reason. Right. Putting himself in has cameoed in the past. Uh, appears as early as the first episode of the whole show on the subway uh, in season two. You see him um, when we finally get the the reveal that Elliot's in prison and the the episode that starts off. I think after the 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 big Darlene uh, Mobley and Trenton episode, uh, the episode that begins with like showing us exactly how Elliot got to prison and everything when he's being processed. Yep. You see Esmail there. Um, I don't remember exactly where he is in season three. He's but like a, he's- in the background. You could barely see him, but he's sitting inside Red Wheelbarrow uh, Barbecue and you see him through yeah. like the neon lights. Do you think that's the same character in every one of these? 
I I wonder. I think it I might wonder. Be. I think it might be. I think it's fair could to be. say it could be. In the train scene, as you're observing in season one, after he's hacked uh, Ron at uh, Rohit at Ron's Coffee, um, that's Elliot basically says, "I'm being followed," and we see these suits that Elliot thinks is following him, and then Christian Slater's like, uh, "You know, exciting time in the world right now, kiddo," and you see Esmail standing right there, looking at Elliot, looking directly at Elliot. Uh, so you could imagine that Philip Price may have had tabs on. Elliot the whole time, just as Elliot was suspicious, somebody did. Uh, and if he had tabs on Elliot the whole time, it makes sense that this this team might have somebody from this team might have also been trying to observe him in the prison and might have also been observing him or observing the goings on at Red Wheelbarrow. So if this is a if he's playing essentially a Philip Price goon, uh, the times he's been seen in the past are totally conceivable that a Philip Price goon uh, would have been around uh, in in those ways and shapes and forms. So I think it could easily be the same guy. I mean. Didn't Sam Esmail task us, Josh, with figuring this out? Yeah, I believe that's right. So do we want to just uh, say that that's the answer? Or do we want to wait for more information as the show moves along? I don't know. We're going to get more information. I think it's the same guy. I think we're I think right, safe to say same character, same character, same character, same guy, same guy all the way through. Um, but if, if this is a man who's working for Philip Price and if Philip Price is just going to show himself here anyway, why do all of this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do all of it? It's a very why put, good question. Why put Elliot through such misery? And why put me through so much misery? I told, I, I told this story to Sam on the podcast that I did with him. So if you've heard that already, you know it. But in case you haven't, uh, I watched this episode on my laptop. And then Elliot gets injected with a, with a fatal overdose of heroin. Uh, he uh, uh, seems to die while his family is nearby. Uh, and then it cuts to executive produced by Sam Esmail. And I was so upset. Like it was just like the culmination of all these awful things that had happened in this first episode that I shut my laptop. Uh, and I was like, God, what is this season going to be? Is it going to be like, uh, you know, the ghost of Elliot, like going back through his past and thinking about all of the things that he's done wrong? Like, how how's this going to happen? And then I remembered like a few days later when I was like going through all these different places in my head of like what exactly is going to happen uh, that uh, that Sam had said after the season two finale, like the reason they didn't cliffhanger out Elliot getting shot uh, and like make us think, what if he's dead? Was that like, we're not dumb and we know Elliot's not dead. This is his show. This is his story. And you know, it's like, so he knows we're not dumb. There's no way he killed. And I turned up on the laptop again and went back to the scene and continued the scene. And of course, Philip Price comes in and I'm the idiot. I'm the dumb one. <laughs> and well, you just, the only thing you're dumb for is underestimating just the sadism of Philip Price. We have to continue to remember that this is a bad man. No matter how many things the show can do to get us on his side, and no matter how many things the show can do to bring these characters together, and you can certainly imagine in the episodes to come, as we talked about in our preview, and as we talked right. about even last season, uh, the role that Philip Price could play in the end. The game deck here. is very much set for that, yes. right? Like, especially by the end of this episode, the circumstances, like if, if Price wasn't already kind of incentivized to go up against uh, White Rose in a bigger way, certainly is now with Angela dead, certainly is now by the fact that he has saved Elliot. So what will their next scene look like? First scene between Rami Malek and uh, Michael Christopher, by the way, uh, in Mr. About history, certainly not the first time uh, Philip Price and Elliot have been in the same room together. Right. But it was Christian Slater as Mr. Robot in season three when they uh, when they had crossed paths. Um, but I think you're right to point out that um, uh, 
uh, Philip Price, maybe not the the best guy on the planet, probably a little bit broke and doesn't seem like he's quite at Red Wine Scott Knowles levels here uh, when we're seeing him <laughs> no, at the end of this. No, he's just at Force, uh, Force Elliot to overdose and then Narcan revive yeah. him levels. Yeah. It's white wine that I've been drinking. <laughs> Stains the lips less. <laughs> less noticeable. Uh, but like, I think for, for him to, I don't know, to be playing with Elliot in this way here, probably makes him feel powerful yep. at a time where he's feeling a little powerless uh, and also uh, maybe a little bit vindictive and vengeful of like, maybe I can inflict some pain on this guy who, if not for him, my daughter might still be alive. Also possibly changed his mind, right? Like it's also possible something in what right. Elliot said did appeal to him. We have, I mean, open question marks as to whether Philip Price ever knew Edward Alderson. We knew that he knew Mrs. Moss and they had a relationship. We knew Mrs. Moss and Mr. Alderson worked together. Entirely possible that Philip Price knew Edward Alderson on some level, that he might have met a young Elliot at some point, or that there may be some interaction between those characters that we're not aware of. Um, it's also possible, I, I don't know if we know, do we know, I, 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 do we know if Elliot knows that uh, that Philip Price is Angela's father? I don't think we know that. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. So, I mean, I, I, I assume Elliot knows about Philip Price at some, you know, we know that when he showed up in the room with Christian Slater, he's Christian Slater, uh, Miss Elliot's reaction as Mr. Robot was like, oh shit. Like, so we know. Well, yeah, Philip Price is going to be like internationally known. Right. You know, how much Elliot knows of him as an individual is is an open question, I think. Right, right. Well, I think with the level that Elliot knows, like anybody that he has to be operating with or around in this space and the copious levels of research that he does, gotta imagine he knows a thing or two about Philip Price. And that that is probably true. It does make you wonder why why Elliot hasn't reached out to Philip Price. Like, why is this the way that they're meeting? Uh, If Elliot knew that, maybe if Elliot's worried that Philip Price is on Team White Rose, right? Like, that has to be it, right? That he's worried that he's on Team White Rose. He's keeping a very tight circle right Right. now. It's literally just himself self and himself. It's <laughs> a good line. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So that, that ultimately has to be why they haven't met. But um, TBD, I guess, on why this goes down. I like to think that Philip Price changed his mind, uh, that he was okay with taking Elliot off the table, that that's, uh, that's, that was the E-Corp honeypot. I mean, we know that E-Corp owned the building. Philip Price was on the other end of that honeypot. Was it a honeypot for E-Corp? No, it was a honeypot for whatever was going on with the Dark Army. That's why it came up in the context of way it came the way it came up. So in whatever way that that was a honeypot that was meant for Philip Price to do the dirty work of the Dark Army uh, because it came up in the Dark Army context. It came up with a Dark Army operative, not an E-Corp operative. So this is Philip Price at least maintaining that honeypot, as it were, on behalf of the Dark Army or whatever it is his work with White Rose is. So maybe this represents Philip Price turning his back on that or showing a willingness to do that, maybe because of something, as I'm saying, that Elliot was ranting about in that moment. So that's uh, that's something I definitely want to keep an eye on. Where is Philip Price's? Where where where's Philip Price two months after his daughter got killed? Totally. Uh, does he feel powerless, or does he want to exert some power? Does he want to work with Elliot or not? Um, I, I think that that's uh, that's really good. Uh, do you make anything? I, I just want to address it. Let you weigh in on it because I'm sure you have a very good take on it. Elliot was definitely revived. This is not something right that when it goes to black, Elliot actually died there, and we're going to find that out at the end of the season. Uh... Just want to make that clear. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that that would be too far for this show. 
Yeah, I. Um, it's a little too. It's a little too tricky. It's a little too much of gilding the lily. I think. I think. I think it's so. on the level that he died there. The only reason I say that is, if you want to read, like, why would he revive him there? Maybe he didn't. Like, that's the only part I want to say is maybe he didn't. I'm not sure. sure he did, it, but, but I, I, I don't want to. I don't think I personally want to track that I don't too either. much. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Like, I, I think whatever is going to happen next is going to happen. The only. Um, the only reason I said it is in our preview podcast we talked about twists and how there were twists in every season. Uh, I think it's bait for that but i don't think it's that all right well when we get to the next episode let's let's put that filter on right let's apply that At filter least for two minutes for two minutes for, yeah. well let's apply let's let's apply like a thin layer of that filter on the episode and see if we can see anything that would track with that okay uh and and if so we'll we'll call it and if not uh we'll you know we'll say the same there sure. um Anything else from from the premiere? I mean, a lot happening. Uh, a lot happening as we're catching back up on on so much missed time with Mr. Robot. A huge, huge, important player removed from the board. Uh, almost the most important player almost removed from the board by the end of the episode. Uh, some new characters have emerged. Some new dynamics are emerging and we're getting a little bit more of a sense of maybe the plot engine of the season, given Elliot's determination to to shoot White Rose in the heart. Uh, no Vera yet, but that's got to play into things. Anything else that's lingering from this episode that you want to touch on before we close out? Not in terms of lingering, but just some quick hits. Um, we see uh, that that uh, Darlene's screen name, Dolores Hayes, is a screen name she's used in the past on this show. In the past, we've talked about it. It is a reference to Lolita. Uh, speaking of Kubrick connections, but also reference to the Lolita. To Lolita are the glasses that Darlene has worn throughout the series. Lolita is also a book that Angela picks up when she loads her red crazy lady cart uh, before she dis- disappears from uh, the scene in season three episode nine uh when she's loading things up so i i don't know if there's anything more than that but that is right there on the surface continuing to be referenced on the show uh and that is that that's a continual thing that's gone on throughout it's nothing new so when we see that this season we've seen it in the past speaking of things we've seen in the past shift control nbc's monetization of the events mm-hmm. of the day uh, the network yeah. television version of mr robot alive and well seen in an ad on the train in the background Still wonder if we'll get anything more from Shift Control. We could, I, I could foresee a commercial and a commercial break uh, for Shift Control uh, as a, maybe as a, a Shift Control episode. Like what is like the network version of Mister Robot? I'd be fun. That'd be a great thing to see. I or would at least like a few that. scenes of it, like the yeah. way that they did the sitcom and that last like almost uh, I think like a third of an episode. It's funny uh, to, because to in my that. rewatch when I went back and saw season one in the first episode, Elliot and Gideon are hopping on jets to go stop hacks, and the hacks are like progressing. Second to second uh, through servers, and I'm like, this is a different show than we watch now. And you imagine Shift Control is probably more of that sort of that sort of action, and it probably has someone like Jake Busey at the heart of it. Uh, so that's funny. Um, we talked about Silver Shamrock and Ingen things Elliot sees in the email inbox. Connell Cochran is another name that shows up a lot. I think that's a shout out to the Evil Mastermind in the Halloween uh, Three movie, which I believe is the only Halloween franchise that really doesn't directly have Michael Myers. Yeah, there's in no it. Michael Myers. Right, yep. but it has the Michael Which Myers is, mask, right? And that's what that's what the that what's what Connell Cochran's plan in Halloween Three is to use these masks, and when children put them on, they're all going to die at the same time, and it's going to be this huge Sam Hain sacrifice. Like this is a bad evil guy. So for his name to show up here, I think it's a fun little Easter egg and a fun little shout out. Um, well, what happens when everyone puts those uh, careful massacre masks on? Yeah, right. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, go watch Halloween three. Let's have Josh. If the wheel that we spin ends up and we have to do a bonus robot. Podcast, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We'll watch Halloween don't, three and we'll report back about the connection. Don't trigger me. Don't trigger me. Uh, I also went back to try to track since Elliot has stopped talking to us, which is something that has happened in the past. Time has passed and Elliot has stopped talking to us. Elliot has also lied to us in the past. What is happening, I think, in this instance is because Mr. Robot is willing to talk to us. We are an active participant in the story in the ways that when Elliot has stopped talking to us in the past that we haven't been. Um, Elliot has stopped talking to us in the past. Like I said, the last thing he said to us in the context of this series is not really relevant. He basically is talking about how he knew Romero at the, at near the end of season three, episode 10. I think that's the last thing Elliot says to us in voiceover. And it's basically him talking about how he was able to crack Romero's password, see the keystroke log and find out it was Mr. Robot uh, who had tracked the, the, hack and not Romero. So there isn't anything really significant in terms of the last thing Elliot said to us in the context of this uh, season or this series. I wonder what the first thing Elliot says to us will be. And I wonder if it will be at the end of this series. I wonder if Elliot will say maybe in a meta way what Sam Esmail said, goodbye, friend. I wonder if that will be the next thing Elliot says to us or if he'll speak to us before then. I expect it might take a while. I do too. Uh, I think it could. I think it could be a little it bit. It could take and the whole I, season, I, really. I like that, though. I mean, I think that. Um, I, I think that the show has done a really admirable job of once you know we find out that Elliot and Mister Robot are the same person of finding clever ways to keep Christian Slater impactful uh, and engaging. Uh, you know, certainly one of the ways is by humanizing Edward Alderson and bringing, um, you know, Elliot's father more into focus and in flashback scenes and stuff like that. Um, but I think any time that they are able to play with uh, with Christian Slater's portrayal of Mr. Robot, because it's just I, I got to imagine it's so tempting. Rami Malek is such a brilliant actor. Why not just let him do everything at a certain point? Um, so I think that the more unique stuff that can be thrown Slater's way, I'm here for. And I think. Uh, for the subversion of him being the guy who's speaking with us. Uh, I really liked that. I thought that worked really well for me. And until Elliot gets back on message, like gets back to some semblance of center, I don't expect that he's going to be talking to us too much. I think you're right. And I do think it's possible it will be the whole season. So I'm I'm definitely curious to see when that happens, uh, not just from a meta standpoint, but just from the the deserving nature of it. What what do we have to do or what does Elliot have to do to earn that back, to earn that bridge or to reopen that bridge? Elliot has directly appealed to us for our help in the past in, in seeing things. That is what Christian Slater as Mr. Robot in his voiceover says to us throughout like you're he's going to need a friend and that's still what you are right i'm a little concerned that what elliot where elliot might need a friend like what darkness could could befall the season where elliot pivots to us or appeals to us when he needs a friend i hope it's more what you're saying where he's able to get it together i'm a little concerned it's not but i guess tbd that's definitely something i'm on the lookout for and i do think it could last the whole season all right. Anything else? No, it's it's uh, sauce. It's not gravy. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh God, I'm still laughing about freaking macaroni. All right. <laughs> well, we are we are going to be recapping every single episode of this 
final season of Mr. Robot. If you enjoyed us talking for roughly two hours about the season premiere, there's plenty more of that along the way in the weeks ahead. We want your feedback. Anything you've got from this episode, we'll touch on in our 402 recap coming your way next week. You can send that to us on Twitter at Post Show Recaps. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. Do the thing, Antonio. It's two Z's, one R. Uh, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form. And if our email is up and running, mrrobot at postshowrecaps.com. Subscribe to our Mr. Robot coverage here on Post Show Recaps. You can find us on Apple, postshowrecaps.com slash mrrobot, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. It really is helpful. Your ratings, your reviews, all of that phenomenal stuff we appreciate so, so much. And a reminder, if you want to hear Antonio and I waxing poetic about Watchmen in a little while, we are going to be doing that on my series regular podcast at The Hollywood Reporter. Subscribe to that podcast. You can get that Sam Esmail podcast that we have referenced a couple of times here uh, by subscribing to series regular. So make sure you check all of that. We'll make sure that we've got links to all of this stuff in the show notes as well. Uh, We will be back next Monday with more Mr. Robot. Uh, Until then, take care. Goodbye, friends. Don't worry. Be happy.